Welcome back to Kafaro Cast, everybody. This is Frank here with Aaron across the table. We have a very special guest, a legend of the mule deer world, Robbie oh, Denning. <laughs> Thanks for being on, Robbie. Special in a special kind of way, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, dude. Yeah, dude, I, I got to I gotta contrast this a little bit, how this came together, because I've done quite a few podcasts. And, you know, when most of the times I go on a podcast, a couple weeks ahead, I get an email, hey, dude, you, can you come on? You know, here's some dates, here's some times, you know, what works. And then, you know, you, you, you accept and then you get, a, you know, another call or an email. Here's the outline. Here's some questions. You know, what do you think? You want to add some, delete some? And, you know, you think about it for a week or so. And But Aaron's podcast, no, no. You get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and you're trying to make coffee and you push the button on your phone to turn it on. And bam, here's three texts. Hey, dude, what are you doing? Are you awake? What's going on? Hey, man, can you do a podcast in a little bit? Hey, where are you? Hey, what's going on? And then by the time you kind of get your thoughts, you go, yeah, I think I can do it. You've missed the bus, man. Aaron is on to something else. If, if, you're, if you don't respond by 7 a.m., you're, you're toast. So I'm glad we finally got together. How many times have we tried? Uh, four or five. Um, I mean, I think so. But, you know, Frank is a mule deer fanatic, too. So, you know, Frank has wanted to get you on for a while. But Frank's schedule... You know, like I don't. He was on an Idaho hunt, and I was back, and that was a time when I I actually probably could have got you on, but then Frank wasn't here, and then the next time Frank was here, but you were hunting, and I had to leave, and so you by the time you could do it, which was like eleven or twelve, I I bounced or whatever. So, um, which is like midnight there, and I, I just figured out I just need to start getting up at one a.m. to get ready for these things. So, it, it's, anyways, here it's we bad. are. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, uh, yeah, I, you know, kind of as a brief, um, beginning to this, I guess is, you know, originally I had, had met, I'd known of Robbie for a long time just through the industry and the mule deer world. But, um, you, you were a big part of rock slide, uh, the website when it started, you, you didn't initially start as an owner, David Long and I and Ryan started it. Uh, but you came an owner quickly after that, um, and that's kind of how you and I met. You were, um, I guess, the mule deer editor initially. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, I think David was the mule deer editor, but he wanted me to come on and just, you know, kind of support that, help him a little bit, get some more content out there. And then, you know, as you know, within just a couple of months, I was I was doing a lot more than just that. But, yeah, that, that's how it started. You, you nailed it. Yeah. And, uh, and Rock Slide's obviously doing, you know, very well now. I don't get on there as much, mostly because I've don't want to deal with it, but it, it is a great resource for gear information and tech tips and, and the classifieds are insane. Um, and you, and you do get a lot of reviews on things that are a little bit harder to find that are, that are, um, I guess you could say more realistic reviews from people actually use them in, in the field more than a day, uh, which is nice. Um, you guys have done very well with it. Well, we just took the, took the torch from you and ran with it. So that's where that came from. Gotcha. Well, cool. Well, yeah, so that's kind of how I know, uh, you know, Robbie or whatever. Now, Frank, how long have you known with Robbie and his mule deer exploits? I think uh, I think I saw something about Robbie in a, in a mule deer hunting book a while back, and then I finally met you at, uh, at one of the shows. I think it was the Western Hunting Expo a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, and I was like, holy shit, 
This is Robbie Denning. I've seen him in a book. <laughs> oh, geez. Come yeah, on. But... I was like, hey, th- this is Frank the Tank. Holy crap, man. Where's the line? I want to get an autograph from this guy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I guess I've known you a couple of years and always always look forward to following along in your social media stuff on your on your deer exploits because I always I know you're going to kill a big one every year, so it's, it's kind of cool to follow along. Ah. not every year don't put the pressure on me you you know bringing that up um because i you know you had given me probably you and chris Rowe. maybe i won't say crap but the the fact that i could spend quite a bit of time in the mountains and shoot relatively well and still did not shoot giant mule deer um because I'm a piss poor trophy hunter, you had given me crap about that, but you had talked about it in great depth of you had to make a commitment to mule deer to be as successful as you are to just hunting mule deer as your primary animal and being prepared to not kill anything when you're looking for that one deer. You want to kind of touch on that? Not not with making fun of me, leave that out, but the the commitment it takes to be, uh, you know, a, a, a true, when I say trophy hunter, meaning not just, you know, horn size, but age, you know, shooting the oldest, largest animal. I mean, w- at what point in time did you say, all right, I'm just hunting deer, I'm, I'm kicking out bear and elk and everything else? Yeah, um, well, um, you know, I grew up hunting all that stuff. My dad was kind of a multi-weapon, multi-species hunter, and, and I loved it. You know, I hunted bears as, as a teenager and, um, you know, really got into the elk hunting in, in my 20s. And, you know, dad was a horseman, so I was hunting backcountry way back then, too, and I loved it. It, it was great, but, it, you know, that was in the you know late 80s, early 90s, and mule deer were just getting harder and harder. Some of it was just, you know, the seasons were getting cut back where you couldn't really hunt them in the rut. and just made it a lot harder, and so, you know, as I got married and had kids and everything, it, it, some of it was just out of necessity that I just can't do it all, and, you know, if I really want to focus on you know, I, I call them big bucks because I don't really like the word trophy. That that brings in the whole record book thing, um, which I'm not against, but there's a lot of big bucks out there that don't make the record book. Um, and so I just kind of started to focus on just trying to put my tag on older bucks and, you know, bigger bucks and, and, and just out of necessity, it, it got down to, look, if I want to do this well, with my budget, my time, my life, you know, I've always been a busy guy. I've had two or three jobs since I was in my twenties that I just had to kind of give everything else up. And, and, and it was the best decision for me at that time. It's not that I'll, I'll never go back to hunting those species. I mean, I, and I loved steelhead fishing, you know, I really missed that, but just the amount of time it took to do all that stuff and do it well, you know, cause I've, I've never been able to do anything casual. You know, if, if I go steelhead fishing, you know, I'm, I'm there for the week. You know, I want to I want to catch big fish. I want to hang out with the guys that know how to do it. Well, that, all, that stuff all takes a lot of time. And, and, and I found that I was just mediocre at everything. And I finally decided, you know what, if I want to I want to do something well, I can't be a jack of all trades and I'm just going after big bucks. And it can get a little boring. It can get a little um, narrow, but I'm still glad I did it. Gotcha. Well, Big buck wise, let's uh, lay out your portfolio, buddy, because you have uh, don't talk about it as much as you should. What name, list off kind of the deer you've got hanging on the wall? I mean, I, I know because I've talked to you about it, but your biggest down to you know how many you have over what eighty that type of thing. Well, I haven't counted them, um, but 
That's a good sign yeah, when you can't the remember. Name of, the name of my yeah, I know. I, I, well, I'll, I'll get them here because they're they're. I, I just kind of visualize them how they're hung on the wall. I can figure it out. But but first of all, you know, the name of my book is Hunting Big Mule Deer. That was that was carefully chosen because big to me encompasses you know age, body size, antler size, score. I'm not against score. I love score. If you can find a high scoring buck, that's great. And so. You know, when I answer this, I'm just thinking of the bucks that I call big, and some of them will match some people's definition of, oh, that's a big score. But every one of them had something that was that was big to me at the time I shot them. But um, in, in, in my basement is where I put the mounted heads, and then in my garage is where I put the just the euros, you know, just for space. And so in my basement, if I just kind of close my eyes and think here as I do a 360 in that room, there's a, a 224 Wyoming buck, a 234 Idaho buck, a 191 Colorado muzzleloader buck, a, a 36-inch Idaho buck, um, um, a 187 Idaho buck that's about 28 wide, um, a really funky Idaho buck that I got two years ago that is got like places on his antlers that are seven inches around up towards the top. He's like, I can't remember an eight by nine or a seven by eight. He doesn't score real well, probably in the one eighties, but you know, he's, he's big by all accounts. He's not very wide, you know, mid twenties. Let's see, move over a 201 Colorado buck. That's a rifle buck. Um, that's the buck that's on the cover of my book. Um, got to think what's next to him. Um, uh, my biggest archery buck, which is my lowest scoring archery buck was, which is the broken heart buck. That's from, from my book. He had six inch bases. Um, I think almost 19 inch G twos. He, but he, his main frame is a three point, but again, that's why I go after big, not score. I mean, that buck would probably score in the one high one sixties at best, but he's man. When I, when I look at him in that room, he's just as big as any of these others. And let's see what's next to him, a 184 Wyoming archery buck, and then a 207 Colorado rifle buck. And then when you go into the garage, that's, that's all the 170, you know, 180 type bucks. Um, but, but there's one out there and I don't don't be a dickhead, Robbie. (laughs) You're, you're making me feel bad about your garage bucks. Those are the bucks (laughs) I shoot. (laughs) <laughs> hey dude you should and and, the, and and like the one you shot this year with your recurve um the the colorado buck what did he have like six six and a half inch bases six and seven eighths i think is what he had the one okay, of the largest base go, deer dude. i've ever seen that's what i'm talking about right there so um he, and it almost killed me in front <laughs> yeah exactly but but he may have ended up in my basement is what i'm saying because he's got one of the characteristics and an extreme characteristic of what I call big, which is giant bases. I mean, man, any, really anything over about five and a half now is, is a big base. And so, so, you know, maybe he'd end up in my garage. I don't know. But what I'm saying is those, those are all the, the deer that, 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 that kind of flip my switch. And yeah, some of them aren't as big as what I wanted. And, you know, I hunt big bucks until the very last day and then I'll, you know, I'll take about anything especially if the freezer is not full and um but there was a buck in there in 2014 that i shot that if he's like the one you got this year although yours is wider he's kind of a narrow buck out of 24 23 something like that but same thing six and a half inch bases on one side man he's got like eight points around his bases that are you know half inch to an inch long but his you know, he, his main frame is, is, it's not good. I mean, he, he probably scores more like the one fifties, you know, if you truly did a net score on him, but, but he, he was, I had him in lab age, I lab age all my bucks. He was eight years old and 
you know, he's the second oldest buck I've ever taken. So, so what I'm getting at is whether they're in my basement or in my garage or whatever, they all had something to me that was, that was big. And, and, and to answer your, your original question, I don't know, there's like 25 of them, 28, something like that. I'm, I'm, I, I, I just need to go out there and count them to accurately know, but I know it's in the mid to upper 20s. Well, and I don't know, Frank. You got any questions for him? Yeah, where do you where do you send um, do you send like a tooth to somebody at the Division of Wildlife, or is it a friend that you send it to to get it aged? No, it's it's a lab in Montana. It's called Matson's, and anybody can send their stuff in, but it's pretty expensive if you just send it in, um, you know, tooth by tooth. So um, I worked out a deal with them, and you know anybody could have done this, but because I know a lot of mule deer hunters, talk to a lot of people around the country, where I can get a pretty good volume discount because um, I can meet their minimum order of I think it's six teeth or five teeth, and then you pay a flat rate. And so I actually opened that up, Frank, in oh my goodness, late 2000, 2006 or seven, something like that. And so I've actually been doing it for guys. I have them send send their teeth in. It's thirty bucks a sample, and um, uh, and then I, I collect them all, send them in. The lab's called Matson's. They're in um, uh, uh, Montana. They've uh, been there for many many years, and that's that's the process that, that that I use to age them. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty interesting. What was the? You said that one that you were just talking about was the second oldest buck. What was the oldest buck that you'd killed? The oldest buck was that nine year old thirty uh, six inch Idaho buck. Just and the, the cool thing about, about aging deer, Frank, is that, um, you know, everybody thinks you can just look at their teeth and, okay, he's got worn teeth, so he's old. He doesn't have worn teeth, so he's young. And that doesn't quite jive with the science because a lot of it depends on diet and, and just the individual buck. I mean, sometimes you'll meet a 30-year-old guy that's halfway healthy and his teeth aren't any good. That would uh, be you know, me. You'll meet a 66. <laughs> that would be you. Look like a hippo when a it's yawning. a 60-year-old guy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm talking about. Yet everything else is healthy. You can see the same thing with bucks. You know, you can see a 60 year old guy that's you know smoked and drank his whole life and hasn't ate, eaten a vegetable since the 70s, and he's still got good teeth. Um, and it's the same with bucks. And so that's why I sent them to a lab, and they actually dissect the tooth. It's called cementum age analysis, and um, similar to like counting rings on a tree, um, a, a deer adds you know a layer of I can't remember if it's enamel or cementum, whatever it is. They they add layers predictably. And so they're able to accurately age them. And, you know, I've pulled teeth out of deer, you know, looking at their molars, you know, the, the teeth that are in towards the back. And, you know, they're pretty worn down. You're thinking, oh, this is going to be an old buck. And you get back from the lab and it's four or five years old. I mean, they're, they're just all different. And that, that's what's kind of cool about it. And back to that nine-year-old buck, Frank, he had good teeth, man. I pulled his, I remember I pulled his lip down and I thought, oh, this is like a five or a six-year-old buck. You know, he's, he was on his way up. And, and yeah, when I got it back, he was nine years old. He just had good teeth, good living. He was probably going to be one of those bucks that lived to be 11 or 12. Huh. That's crazy. So with, um, I, I and I had to go take a potty break. Uh, so I, I missed some of the aging stuff, but I could hear that. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, <laughs> I have been caught peeing in a bottle on the podcast before. It's not good. Um, <laughs> that's not on, what I heard. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the age, um, you know, class type of a, of a buck that was kind of, well, Frank and I, you know, have the same deal. Like that was one thing this year with the recurve I wanted to do was, which is, you know, it's difficult for me is shoot an old buck. And mm-hmm. it, it is, it is difficult with the recurve for me to pass up decent three by threes and four by fours, um, that are three and a half, um, when it's hard enough to kill one with a stick bow by itself. And, I yeah. have heard from you and, and definitely the difference between a three and a four 
or a three and a five-year-old deer, uh, uh, even the way they bed, the area they bed on the side of the mountain, everything, their their general awareness is night and day difference. Um, they're a different animal once they get to four or five. I mean, what do you, how do you feel about that? Kind of give us your thoughts. Well, it's absolutely true in any, any unit where the deer hunted, you know, beyond very, very light pressure. And I know because I've uh, shot a lot of three-year-old bucks, by the way. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but yeah, that they change then. They, 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 something changes about them right around four years old in a hunted unit, and they just become very deliberate in how they move. They, 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 they develop an, an affinity for the cover, and um, they're just very hard to catch out in the open. And the reason I give that qualifier about, you know, light hunting versus, you know, like an OTC, not even an OT, it doesn't have, you have to have a million hunters, but if the deer has been exposed to pressure, that's what changes them. And, you know, there, I'm sure there's places around, around where you're at, Aaron, where people can go photograph deer and, you know, they're not hunted, you know, maybe they're not even city bucks, but maybe it's just somewhere that people can't hunt. And I'm not talking about those bucks, you know, they'll stand there and pose for you. You know, there's places around here that, that they're a little bit that way. But anywhere where they've been around hunting pressure, they just figure, well, I think what it is is by the time they're four, they had to figure it out or they wouldn't be alive. And I'm amazed at how I can go out on, my son's got a muzzleloader tag right now. So what's today? The 26th of November. Hardcore rut. Every, every buck has got his nose where it counts right now this is when they perpetuate the species it is what's happening well we've been up on this hunt there's not that many hunters still can't find mature bucks out of the brush you see the two points and you know all that stuff and you know if if the season had been closed a week yeah you can go up there totally different they're walking down the ridge you know showing off their antlers you know they don't they don't care about being out in the open but by the time they get to four they just don't put up with much from humans and you know you mentioned how they bed and that's certainly true. You know, I think they start to learn from looking at the deer around them, like, okay, little Fred's over there. I'll let him sit in the open and get glassed, and, you know, I'll sit back here. But, oh, oh if he goes and gets in that good bed, I'm going to go kick him out of that. By the time they're four years old, they've learned all that stuff that has kept them alive. And, and we're not their only predator. I mean, it's cats, lions, you know, they have uh, uh, coyotes. They have to outwit all that stuff and that stuff is after them all the time and you think about how many times you've been in mule deer country and there's a coyote following a deer you know that that's happening 24 7 and, and these bucks that's why they're hard to track it's why i think they like to cover they just figured out that if i'm going to survive i got to be real careful i find they very seldom walk into danger you know they don't just wander around you know, there's been a few of them I've seen over the years approach the edge of the cover, and they'll spend 40 minutes looking around, you know, just look, looking, making sure the coast is clear. They'll put their head down and eat three or four bites and then stop for another five minutes. And that's all the stuff I see happening with the older bucks, that with the younger bucks, they they, they just wander around and get killed. Yeah, no, and I, you know, when it, kind of off the subject, on the subject, um, as a, uh, a an archer, for the most part, meaning I've I've actually don't think I've ever shot a, a mule deer with a gun. Um, I try to always shoot them in their bed. Like I don't mm-hmm. wait for them to stand. I like shooting them, which is arguable. Some people don't like shooting them in their bed. 
um, I've heard other guys, um, mule deer hunters or, or people that are in the know on mule deer that prefer to stalk them while they're feeding because, you know, their jaws moving and whatever. I have not had great luck, uh, stalking anything, maybe an ambush, but not, not, <laughs> not trying to stalk on anything while it's moving, especially with the recurve. How do you feel about that? Like stalking them in their bed opposed to ambush opposed to while they're feeding? Both rifle and muzzleloader and, and, and archery. Well, rifle, I don't hesitate to shoot them in their bed. Um, if it, you know, if it presents halfway decent shot, I'm within, you know, a decent yardage, you know, under 400. I, I don't even hesitate. You know, I got a steel animal. I've got a weapon that, you know, can punch through them at a variety of angles, and <laughs> they're holding still. I need, you know, that's that's the hardest thing about big bucks. They don't give you any time. And, um, but with archery, you know, just a little background on that. I am not a great archer. Um, I, I've killed three big bucks with my bow, but that's over like 15 years. You know, I go years without even getting one. You know, some of it is because I, I just focus on the big ones, but you know, some of it is because I'm just not a very good stalker. And, um, but to answer your question, um, I have not killed any of those three bucks in their bed but that's only because they didn't offer me a chance. And it's been my experience that by the time I get in their living room and I'm a compound shooter, which is, you know, I need, I need 60 and under, and I prefer 50 and under. Um, by the time I get in there at those yardages, usually I can't see very well into their beds. You know, they choose places that are you know, they're up under a bush or under a ledge or, or sometimes they're just laying so low that, you know, even the grass behind them, you can't really pick out a spot. But um, what I, this, I will shoot them in their bed if I could see a vital. I absolutely would because the other problem is once you get in their living room, you can't control the wind. I mean, I have sneezed and lost bucks. I mean, try to stop a sneeze. You can stop them, but they're still, they still make noise. And so once I'm in that kind of red zone that people call, I got to kill them. And whether they're up or down, I got to kill them. And, and yeah, I've sat a long time and waited for them to get up. And then I've had them get up and take a step and boom, they're behind a tree and I still can't shoot. So I, I, I guess, Aaron, I'm not going to give you an answer on that. I, 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 I'm going to kill them as soon as I see their vitals, put it that way. Um, as soon as I have a halfway decent shot, um, that I, that I think I've got, you know, an 80 to 90% chance of killing them. And I'm not going to say a hundred because standing broadside and at 40 yards still might not be a hundred percent, you know, but as soon as I can see their vitals, I'm going to try to kill them. Gotcha. Frank, you got anything? Yes. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of related, um, since you're talking about archery and muzzleloader and rifle, I heard a lot of people that say the best chance to kill a big deer is in the rut with a rifle. Other people say muzzleloader season. Um, and some people say archery, what do you, what do you think? Or do you think that each season has its, its opportunities or what, what is your preference? What you just said, all of it, you got to hunt all of it. That's part of why I got focused on mule deer. Cause I found that I, I mean, I've killed big deer with a bow, muzzleloader, rifle. That's not just to, you know, be a, a, a well-rounded hunter. No, it's because I take advantage of every opportunity that is out there so that that typically the early archery seasons that are opening you know late august early september that gives you you know five to 15 days of pretty i always use the term pattern loosely but pretty patternable 
bucks. You know, they're going to be some, they might not be walking on the same trail every day. They, they certainly don't do that, but they'll be in a, you know, same basin or two. I mean, you can find them most days. If, if, if you bugger them up, you have a better chance of finding them again. But I find about mid-September that gets harder and harder. I mean, I continue to hunt them then, but my it seems like my opportunities decline after that. So there's that that season, and, and for some places, muzzleloader is open then. Colorado, um, New Mexico, uh, Utah has a late September muzzleloader season. Those all offer opportunities to, 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 to hunt bucks that are still out in the open. They're not, you know, they're Oats are not super thick yet. Uh, you know, they haven't dove into the cover for that two or three weeks before the rut where it just gets so hard to find them. Um, and then from there, you know, moving into the early October rifle seasons, if the bucks haven't been hunted, um, that's a great time. I mean, I've always said the best time to kill them is opening morning, and then after that you got to hunt every day of the season. So I always, you know, always try to take advantage of that and then, then, then rifle because it's in October a lot of places. You know, Wyoming has a, uh, a, a rifle season in September. So does Colorado. Those are great opportunities. You're just extending your your range from and, and taking advantage of that early season. But but when you get into October, you're typically getting into the weather at the higher elevations. Now, I'm not only a high country hunter. I love the high country, but I hunt a lot of low country too. But typically, the high country is getting precipitation and snow and storms, and that just knocks the crap out of those big bucks. When a when a storm comes in, that's how I killed my buck this year. You know, they don't get a feed as much as they want. They you know they don't like the wind. They don't like being out on a you know blasted slope. And, and so they'll they'll hunker down a little bit more, but boy, when they feed, they feed intensely. And the storm doesn't even have to leave. You know, they just have to get a little break in it. And so you know, those are prime opportunities for rifle hunters. And then you know, moving into the rut, you know, early November. Um, I, I, you guys have done great in Alberta um, before the rut. It sounds like that's all like mid to late October, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it sounds like that's pretty open country, and it's bow season only. Am I correct? Mm, yeah okay so that's a prime opportunity for to hunt them because you've got the advantage of you know not a lot of people people on them and visually being able to find them but you start moving into into the rut and frank i'm answering your question i promise you start moving into the rut to hunt them with a bow that's the my second to last preferred method right there because you know now you're down to a you know a short range weapon and that buck has even though he might be a little goofy in the head, he has completely fortified his defenses with a lot of does around him. And so he went from, you know, one set of eyes, you know, even if he's running with a couple of other bucks, you know, okay, three sets of eyes. Now he's got like 20. And especially at the higher elevations, you start, you, you know, usually get one day of quiet stalking in the snow, and then it's crunchy after that. And sometimes it's crunchy for the rest of the season, even if the snow is on top of the snow. And so I, I just, I, I hunted a lot of late archery hunts in the, you know, 90s and early 2000s, I finally just gave them up. I was like, I'm just not getting enough stocking opportunities and, you know, close range opportunities, even if they get away to, 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 to justify this. So I kind of got away from that. So when I said that's my second least favorite, my, my first least favorite is trying to still hunt with a bow just about at any time, you know, unless you're, unless you're after a certain buck, you've seen them bed or, you know, an ambush point or something like that. Still hunting with a bow, you just don't have enough range to overcome their senses to actually get an arrow off. Um, it, you know, by the time you've identified what he is, shot angle, vitals, all that stuff. And so, Frank, I like to hunt it all, 
but I, I pick specific times during the, each of those, you know, early season, you know, mid season, late season, I pick specific times to target the deer based on what they're doing. Gotcha. And when did, so for this later, the later hunts, when does your scouting start? Do you, is it just normal, like uh, like an archery hunter start in the, in the summer, mid summer or so, or is it, is it later or is it just a, a combination of both? Um, you know, the, um, if I'm hunting low country bucks, when I say low country, I'm talking anything from, um, you know, high desert to foothill type country. Usually by late June, those bucks are kind of settling into where they're going to be. So, you know, usually last week of June, I'm at least setting trail cameras, you know, maybe glassing a few spots that I know bucks show up. But it, uh, the high country is more, when I say high country, now around here, that's like 8,000 feet and above. Down there, you know, I don't know, what is your high country? 10, 5 and up, 11 and up? Yeah, somewhere well, in there. What is your alpine country? Yeah, I, okay, so, I would say 10, 5, 11 is the lower end, yeah. Okay, so around here, those deer aren't really settling in until mid to late July, and it kind of depends on the year, too. If we have a you know cold spring and late snowpack, you know, I've seen it very, you know, very late July before the bucks are, are settling into where they're going to be. And so I don't really have a formula for it, Frank. I just scout the lower stuff early. I wait for the bucks to settle into the high country in late July, and then I start looking for them. But from what I understand about Colorado, I've only hunted high country Colorado, you know, it's just a couple of times. And it sounds to me like, you know, the 12,000-foot bucks, you know, you've got to wait till late July or so. Um, you know, it sounds like a lot of our high bucks down here. I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, I don't want to be up there too early. Put it that way. I see so many guys, they, you know, 4th of July weekend, they're at 10,000 feet around here, and, my experience has been like you'll probably see some bucks, but you may not see that buck again. Yeah, and I think that's what we were kind of experiencing. We were we uh, scouted a new area this year, so we weren't necessarily looking for deer the whole time, but we went in early, and you know, as the summer progressed, we would see more and more bucks, and then as we got towards late summer to the um, beginning of season, we'd see the same bucks, and they were they were kind of settling in, like you were saying. Yeah, and, and I saw some of it, too, I think it gets down to what you're looking for. You're smart to go out and learn the country in July. I mean, you're still going to see deer, and even if you don't see the same deer, you know, okay, this is the country they're using. Yeah, there's, there's going to be deer there. That's, but, you know, usually I'm, I'm looking for individual bucks to hunt. You know, that's my strategy. I don't want to just throw a dart at the wall and, you know, hope it lands in a place where there's a big buck. I want to purposely hunt an area where I've seen a particular buck i want to hunt that buck and like it panned out this year a lot of times i don't find that buck but sometimes i find other ones and so that you know that's just a different approach and i think if you're not after a big big buck it, you know a certain buck it, it, you got a little more latitude on when you can scout now when you um you know, just because like this year um well we'll just go over kind of the last three years, I guess. Frank's hunted the same spot um, for the last three years. And then I guess three years ago, Frank and I hunted what I guess you would call low country or lower country, lower altitude for my recurve buck. And Frank, that's when you shot that big wide buck, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then Frank shot a, a huge, you know, real wide, one of those ones where it doesn't score well, but you look at it and you're just like, gosh, that thing is giant. And then big buck. Yep, and then uh, you know, last year I um, I shot a buck um, in Alberta, I guess, which is lower country. And then this year, Frank and I both shot bucks in the high country. And then we um, show, both hunted. Uh, I got a buck in Alberta, and Frank had some opportunities. And the tactics 
for what we're doing from high country to low country, meaning when you're in the red zone, in my opinion, nothing changes once you're inside that distance you got to do all the same stuff but when you're uh it's amazing i mean glass is glass and and i guess what i'm leading up to here is i cannot stress enough how important it is not to just have good optics but know how to use those optics meaning a lot of people don't grid uh they just they just don't know how they haven't learned how to grid um you know frank tears it up with tens on the tripod um He's a glass and fool with that thing. I really like the 95 um, on the tripod, kind of glassing different. Um, you know, I'm picking the spots where I'm looking um, shaded areas. You know, I'm kind of picking apart cliff edges, like looking for a tine sticking up. But what do you feel like how important optics wise? You know, obviously, I, you know, we know the answer to that. But two, um, I mean, I would I would guess that you spend the majority of your time behind optics. Talk about that a little bit. Okay, and um, that's a good question, and I, I don't think this gets covered a lot out there. Um, I haven't really heard anybody talk about about it, like what, where I'm going to go with this. So I'm not saying I'm right. It's just it's how I think. And um, you know what I put in my book: glassing is your number one technique. It, it really is. But if you if you only glass, then you're still you're limiting yourself. And and what I mean by that, it, it gets down to when you're hunting. And everything you just said, Aaron, about the 95s. I mean, I know you're packing 95s, 15s, a good tripod to support them. You're doing all that stuff. And um, you know, I followed your hunts while you were in Colorado. Um, and that's how you have to do it if you're not after a particular buck. That you are right. You gotta have the best optics that you can that you can afford, and and even if you can't afford them, the better off you got, the, the just the better. I'm with you because it can get down to an ear flicker. It can get down to being able to you know contrast colors in the shadows. It gets down to all that stuff. But but remember, I'm not usually hunting that way. I'm usually after a particular buck so the buck i found this year i found him in late july he was already well into the 180s he was going to be one of those really good scoring bucks i i I found him in some country where i had seen other bucks before over the years other big bucks i kind of had an idea how he was going to use it without putting a lot of time on him i only scouted him once i just left him alone and and looked for other bucks after that and then ended up hunting him during archery because he was the best one I don't need the best optics when I'm doing that. And, 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 and what I mean by that is like, like Zeiss sent me an, an 18 to 45 um, spotter this year. It's their lightweight spotter. It's 42 ounces. It's not the greatest spotter in the world. It has edge to edge problems down between 18 and 25 power, you know, above 25 power. It's, it's good. I think it's a 65 millimeter objective. So, you know, it's not, it's not as good as a 95 looking in the, you know, the edges of light and all this stuff. So, so why did I take it? Because I didn't want to pack around a bunch of heavy stuff. And I knew once that buck was in that basin, you weenie, <laughs> I just need to kind of know where, yeah, it was being a little bit of a weenie. It's because I'm old and I've learned, man, I don't like all the heavy crap in my pack. And so, so long story short, I didn't kill the buck, but I found him multiple times. The spotting scope did its job. And what is your 95 way? I don't want to talk about that. Um, what is do you it think? Like in the 70 ounce range? 
Oh, well, if you combine the tripod and the spotter, I think I'm probably at, what, seven pounds? Yeah, yeah six yeah. and a half pounds. Okay, well, I've got a slick six, uh, 624, so, you know, my tripod's not uh, super light. But for that hunt, I took one of those lightweight KDCs that look like a little, uh, that got the little Easton tent poles. I mean, it's not a great tripod for heavy-duty glassing. Well, while he's I'm talking about this, is, I'm remembering toilet paper sticking out of your 1980 overall camo, and I sent you a message and said, Robbie, you own Rockslide. You need to get some cool camo. I think, not to interrupt, one thing that should go... Uh, one of the most amazing things for me with you is you, you're frugal and kill giant shit. I mean, and, and when I say frugal... <laughs> You are. You could put coal in your ass and it come out a diamond, and you kill giant animals. And I use you as an example for many, many people. Where I'm like, look, there's going to be a few things: animal behavior, hard headedness, and luck. And one of the things with you is animal behavior and probably hard headedness. You're a tough son of a bitch. Gets it done, and you have. Well, you don't now. You had horrible, horrible gear. Gear I make fun of. And killed deer twice the size that I was killing at the time. And I'll stop interrupting now, but that, that needs to be said because you got it done with some pretty subpar gear. Well, it gets back that I did what I had to do. And yeah. um, I, I still remember when you texted me about the toilet paper poking out of my tree bark shirt. I mean, that text pretty much changed my life. You know, you're right. I got better gear after that. And I'm more comfortable. Um, there's no doubt. And, and if you're more comfortable, you're, you're a better hunter. There's no doubt. I've, I've come over that side, but I want to encourage you guys out there that maybe, you know, are on a budget and stuff like that, that Aaron's right. You, it's the gear is important. Get the best you can, you can. But my whole thing about the optics is that I try to match the optic to my hunt. And so that whole idea and taking that vice up there, it's a clear spotting scope, 20, uh, 25 to 40. It's great edge to edge. I mean, it's, it's good. It's hard to tell apart from any of the other you know, top-end glass, you know, it's a little bit of a tunnel vision. It doesn't have a great um, uh, um, field of view. But my whole point is it's 42 ounces, and with that KDC tripod, you know, that thing is under a pound. It worked for what I needed to do because I'm hunting one buck. All I need to do is, oh, what's that in the, in the binocular? Let me throw this up real quick. Oh, that's a buck bedded. Okay, ooh, that's, no, that's not him. He doesn't have a cheater. That's, that's really all I need to do. I'm usually within 500 to 1,000 yards of these deer. I'm not looking at virgin country. I know where to look, where not to look. So I'm going to carry a lighter optic. Now, let's just say I came down to Colorado. Now, I would never do this, but... <laughs> Let's just say I went down there and I couldn't scout. Keep in mind, and what I he's not up. going to do is like what most of Americans are doing. So keep keep that in mind. Most of us go out <laughs> blindly. So go ahead, sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not going to go out blindly. I try not to put in for tags where I'm going out blindly. Or if I am, I'm going with, you know, Aaron Snyder. He knows, okay, these three basins. And, you know, I've talked to Aaron, guys that you have helped over the years that have called me. And, like, they've never even met you. And they're like, hey, I went to the X on the map where he said, and there were bucks there. I, I, I usually don't hunt that way. But if somebody is giving that, me that intel, then great. I'm going to lean towards lighter optics because I'm not going to have to be tearing apart the whole mountain range. But if I'm going to Colorado, it's my, my first time in the, in the unit. It's a high country unit. I don't know it. I'm going to have my big Swaro 80. I'm going to have my, my Swaro 15 by 56 SLCs. I'm going to have my 624 slick tripod, and I'm going to have my, my, my Swaro 8 uh, ELs. I'm going to have all that stuff. It's worth the wait because I don't know where the deer are. But once I find the deer, 
then I, I'm, I, I just take carry a bunch of heavy crap around. I want to sneak around. I want to have a little backpack on me. And I, I want to, I, I just want to be as stealthy as possible. And so, you know, I, I, that's what I'm getting at is I try to match the optics to the hunt is what I try to do. And how much weight do I want to carry on, on any, any individual day? But I'm not saying you're not, you're, you're very smart the way you guys are doing it, Aaron. You are right about the 95s. Tony Treats loves the 95s. I get it. The, the more power you have on the mountain, the better chance you're, you're, you're going to have. I just always walk that line between how much crap do I really want to carry and, um, and how, much, how much optics power do I need. On the grid thing, Aaron, you're exactly right. I'm kind of a spacey dude. I always have been. You know, before, before they invented ADD, it was called hyperactivity. You know, I was in third grade. They had wires <laughs> no. up in my head. I had to go talk to the counselor every day. You know, otherwise I was, I was you know, shooting spit wads across the room, not paying attention. I, I've went through all that stuff. So, and it carries over into my glassing. I kind of have a hard time gridding, too, but it's the way to do it and when i can settle down and i can that's the great thing about a big field of view and an optic on a tripod is i can just say okay i'm going to point it at that place on the mountain and i am not going to move that thing until i have looked at you know everything deer move about every three to five seconds unless they're bedded in asleep i'm going to look at every spot on there about three seconds anything that could be a deer before i move my eyes over you know 10 feet or whatever that is the way to do it and you're right aaron and, and i remember you know when i first started glassing in the late 80s and everything you just hold your binoculars up and you, you know, you just move your binoculars around. And if, you know, if a deer doesn't stand up and wave, you don't see them. And, and I hunt with a lot of guys that way. And it's, it's always pretty cool. Maybe you've seen this too, is it's pretty cool when you take a guy out and you show him how to glass. He may be a brand new hunter, you know, never, never taken a, a good buck or anything. Um, and within a day or two, he is spotting bucks. And, and that's why I know it works. And really all you're showing them is quit moving your optic, sit down, look at what's in front of you, don't space off, and don't just look for a whole deer. In fact, you rarely, unless they're feeding, you rarely see a whole deer. And so, so that's my kind of my whole take on the grid and optics choice and all that other stuff. Well, let, let's, I'm glad I asked you this question because this is, and I'm glad Frank's on here. Um, there are times that... Um, well, I would say for the most part, Frank, with your tens, when we first sit down, you're out spotting me three to one. Yeah, I, pretty quick. I, I mean, he's crushing me. How I do it is I grab my 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 tens and I hand hold them, and I'm I'm grabbing mm-hmm. low hanging fruit. Frank never does that. Well, I won't say never, but it's not very often. You're on the tripod. Yeah, and. I'm flinging that thing around, like you say, ADD, right? Scratching my teeth, scratching my head, digging in my pack. And I look for low-hanging fruit. And then where I will shine is I will see things because I'm looking through patches of trees and seeing a main beam, um, in the case of sheep, you know, seeing the top curl behind a log, where Frank, by the time I get to that point, has already probably found five bucks to my one or two. Um and he is meticulous with the tens. Now, I would say that's pretty much true. Up until we got to Alberta, it was a little bit different. When we were more still hunting and glassing, you didn't have your tripod. And so, and I mean, and chime in if you think I'm full of shit. I think on that, I was ahead of you. Well, that and I was used to the terrain. I was picking out more animals as we were moving, hand-holding, like standing, looking through stuff. I was picking out stuff maybe a little bit quicker, but then when we would go sit down, 
Frank would kick my ass again. I know, Frank, do you feel that's semi-correct? Yeah, yeah. And I think, for me at least, um, uh, when I first started high country deer hunting and taking it a lot more seriously, I did a lot of research on rock slide and, and looked at what gear guys were using and, and putting binos on a tripod was probably the, one of the biggest things that, that helped me be successful in at least finding deer that you wouldn't normally find like you know hand holding stuff right off the bat so i think that's been huge for me and and i guess what i'm getting at to have the true um you know package you have to have what you're talking about robbie where you're picking out one animal um and kind of go the system that you do for that specific case in the case of like i would say all the bucks we've killed in the last three years if it wasn't for optics we probably wouldn't have got them um you know in the the, the, the Alberta buck this year was, did you ever see that valley? A mm-hmm. mile a mile across, one tiny speck on the back curve, and I, I grabbed it with the 95. I'm like, Ryan, there's a buck right there. Only buck that we could see the, all day, right? And without that 95, I wouldn't have killed it. But again, we're hunting, trying to find bucks and kill, kill them, not hunt a buck right we don't have one pre-planned we fly up there or whatever now mm-hmm. the you know the big thing were for for me or whatever is if i had 10s even 15s i may have never found that buck because he was bedded so low on a bench where it curved behind the mountain and i was able to spot a main beam now mm-hmm. th- you know with me and that 95 I found that faster than Ryan because Ryan was doing what Frank does and gritting with binoculars, but I have a hole in my system. I, that first 15, 20, 30 minutes of glassing, I'm getting my ass generally kicked by Frank. Um, and I'm only talking about this. So people, if you really want to be the most effective glasser, I don't even know if that's a word that you can be, you really need to kind of have the total package. And, and for me, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, my deficiency, like same with you, you talked about, you got ADD and it's hard to, you know, pick around for a guy with ADD with me. I can spend all day behind that 95 picking apart rocks and cliffs and everything else. And again, I think if you take anything away from this, I, I think it would be use a tripod for one and two, do your best. Even if you have ADD, try and grid if you can, because there's, how many hunters have you passed or Frank, have you seen that walk by a ridge that you've spotted six bucks from as they sit there for five minutes holding their binoculars up and see nothing and walk on, which is good for me and Frank. Um, <laughs> I mean, how often do you see that, Robbie? All the time, dude. And I have a good example of, of my Frank is Ryan Avery. And he, when he comes out and comes with us, is he, um, that, and, and I don't mean in a little bitch kind of way. I just mean my Ryan Avery, as in my hunting partner. When he comes out and he hunts with me, we're hunting in November. We're hunting pretty brushy country. So that automatically lends itself more towards kind of lower lower power optics and maybe moving a little bit more because you can't just sit and look at a wide open vista of five miles of ridges both ways around you. And But Ryan just comes out, and from the first day I started hunting with him, he pops those 12-power swirls on a tripod, and he just sets. And he does just fine. We'll get back to camp. You know, I'm, I'm usually out still hunting uh, and glassing, kind of like what you're doing in Alberta, you know, move glass, move glass, move glass. 
I may have seen more bucks than Ryan, but he will have usually seen everything in the place that he's at. So he'll he'll pick up bucks that I didn't see. He'll be like, hey, did you know there's a buck right up there? He's got a big thing growing off of his off of his base on his right side. He's not that tall. And I'm like, no, you know what? I didn't see that deer. I saw a couple of four points in there this morning. Oh, yeah, I saw those two. And it's just a different way to hunt. And so for me, when I still take a tripod out. I still do all that stuff. But I pick the day I'm going to do it. Now, I'm not a backpack hunter like you, Aaron. So I'm giving the example of being in November with a central camp. I can come back and say, okay, this afternoon is going to be warm enough. I can sit for three hours, look through 15s. You can't always do that in November. And I'll go sit on a high point, and I'll come back with the same results as Ryan. But Ryan lends himself more to like what Frank does. That's just how he always does it. And so for me, me personally, what I've decided to do, I got to do a little bit of everything. I got to match the time of day, how long I can sit, the area, everything I talked about earlier. Have I been there before? Have I got intel on which slope to be glassing? Or am I starting from scratch? I'm going to take all that into into consideration before I decide what I'm going to do that day. But I have all the glass necessary to do it. I got a huge bag of glass that I take on all my hunts, and I I, I pick and choose what am I using that day. And sometimes my preferred way to hunt, my absolute preferred way to hunt, nothing on my back, oh, just, a, just a, a, a hip belt with a water bottle, a rifle or a bow or a muzzleloader, and a set of eights. But the only way I can really hunt that way is if I'm hunting where I've after a particular buck or where I've seen other bucks in the past. In other words, I have good intel on this area. I don't need a, need a bunch of optic power to do it. And, and sometimes I end up hunting so late in the year, you can't sit more than half an hour or an hour. So those 15s are kind of overkill to me on that particular day. For, you know, because I can't sit there for two or three hours. I mean, a pair of 15s to me, that's for looking at it in a three-mile circle, semi-open country, broken timber, what maybe there's a burn, you know, maybe there's some brush patches, but, you know, there's open enough country. I need three hours to pick this whole circle apart. Well, I can do that in late August. I can do that in mid-September. But, you know, you get the buck I killed this year was October 12th. I couldn't even sit there for five minutes. The wind was blowing so hard. I couldn't even take my gloves off to shoot because you were, you know, below zero wind chill factor. You know, I had to move. Those 15s in my pack that day were just extra weight. So, so you see what I'm getting at? I'm trying to kind of pick and choose according to the day and the hunt and, you know, all that other stuff. Oh, but no. All things being equal, sure. you know, yeah, carry the best stuff you can. Carry the most you can. Yeah, I think, uh, Frank, you got anything to add there? I think uh, my football coach coach perkins that came out um frank I, I ended up going out with him for a day and, and frank did and, and they got a buck when frank went out um he's from oregon on the wet side you know i i handed him a pair of um tens i guess um and i went in with 15 tens and a 95 uh not very far off the road um you know at all so the weight's really not an issue but when you have someone that hasn't had to glass like that you know, after like 30 minutes, they're kind of probably thinking there's nothing here, you know, and mm-hmm. there's so many nooks and crannies that, um, you know, like he was like, all right, what's the plan? And I'm like, man, this is it. Like, we're doing it. Like, we're going to glass, like, till our eyeballs fall out. And I grab, you know, I, I ended up spotting the buck actually you guys killed, I think, and another buck. And we're talking a mile away. And he grabs those tins and holds them up, and I started laughing. I'm like, yeah, 
you probably ain't going to see him with those, man. <laughs> and then he grabbed the 15s. I'm like, no, probably not going to happen, not even on a tripod. Mm-hmm. It's going to be difficult because they were in mm-hmm. a, a little drainage. And, and again, I think that, for example, let's say we didn't have the ability to do that and we had to sneak or still hunt or pick your – when I say pick your battles, meaning – you know a buck is in, let's say, a 500-yard square area, and you're trying to round the horn into these different potential bedding areas from a distance, but a fairly close distance that you're grabbing them with 8s or 10s. We did mm-hmm. that, and it sucked because I had 15 to 20 pounds of optics and another 20 pounds of camera gear, and I'm just hand-holding 10s. Like, okay, this mm-hmm. this blows. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess what I'm getting at is I agree with you 100%. I, in the case of some hunts, you might need them all. In other cases, yeah, you, you may want eights. And, and and still hunting, like what we were doing in Alberta a lot, where we were, I always call it pick your battles, where you're kind of rolling hills, looking in little, like, you, you call it a defilet or a, a drainage or whatever, but you're circling around to look at them in buck brush or red brush. You don't need anything other than eights or tens because you're just looking for a big set mm-hmm. of racks sticking out of the brush. And I, I don't know, Frank, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's definitely all situational and and how you want to hunt and your style, I guess. Um, yeah, there's definitely times this year where I wish I brought the 15s, and sometimes a lot of the time I I didn't need them. But I think it's definitely like Robbie's saying and you're saying it's gonna need to match how you want to hunt that particular buck or that area. Cool. Well, but Robbie, yeah. I got. Oh, and sorry, in the go summer, ahead. Aaron, just real quick in the summer, like when I'm scouting, I'm not carrying a weapon. I have all, all the glass. In my, I got the spotter, the biggest spotter I have. I've got the 15s. I got the big tripod. I got the eighth. I got it all because I'm not as weight conscious then. And then after that, I just kind of narrow it down to that hunt. Gotcha. The next thing I kind of wanted to ask you about um, is like you know judging animals, and I I I tried you know I've got a. I, I would say if you rated, let's say, a, uh, a guy who judges animals, let's say one through five, and, and, and you being a five, my buddy Alex, um, Drum and Lindsay, Greg Crow, um, multiple other guys, Randy Ulmer, David Long, you guys are a five, meaning you're getting it down to hopefully within an inch. Um, or I, don't, before I, I guess before I finish to ask you the question, how close can you generally get judging an animal score-wise? Yeah. Well, first of all, dude, yeah, I'm not a five, and, and I know we haven't got to hunt together, but I am not. You're a five in this sport. crowd, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> of the guys you just named, I'm probably a four. But the um, just a couple of years ago at the Western Hunting Expo, uh, Robert uh, Hayman was down, and he's my friend, and he was at a booth, and he knew like all the scores of the bucks that were at the booth. You know, he'd been there and, and everything, and and so he's like, hey, dude, let's just go through these. You know, tell me what what you think they score. Dude, I was terrible at it. And and when I say terrible, well, so there was a 194 buck, you know, I'd get him at 190. And there was a 207 buck, I'd get him at 214. I mean, that kind of terrible. And it's because of what I was saying earlier, dude, is, you know, I hunt a lot of places where it's, it's pretty easy to get a tag. That's what you end up hunting all the time unless you're rich. And so I just look for big. And so I probably am not as good a scorer as people think they are. And what I, what I put in my book is that, um, you know, you just got to learn to recognize big deer. But if I have time to score them, I actually have time, Aaron, so the buck is bedded. You know, he's not going anywhere. Part of the reason I'm not scoring him is if that's the case and I like him, I'm going to kill him. But if I really – I'm not going to spend any time scoring him. I'm just going to get over there and kill him. But if it's like, no, I really want to see what this buck is or maybe I'm scouting – 
then, yeah, I'm pretty good at it if I can see the whole rack and I have some time. And, and I just run the math in my head. I start with his brow times. And, you know, most big bucks, if they've got them at all, you can just give them five inches and move on. You know, some of them are going to be seven. And I don't mean five per side. I mean two and a half per side. A good one will be seven. A really noticeable one will be eight. You know, he's got four-inch brow times. And then I just I hit the backs. You know, most – Bucks are in that, that 15, 16-inch range for their G2, you know, so I give them, you know, anywhere from 30, a really good buck will be 19, so he might get 38. And then I just move to their to their G3s, and, you know, a, a good record book buck is going to have 12, 12-inch 12 uh, G3s. You're going to find that's pretty flipping rare. Um, uh, and, and, and so most of the time, they're more like in that 8 or 9 inch range and then i moved to their g4s you know a record book buck will also have about 12 inch g4s but those are kind of rare i've seen them as big as 15 but again a lot of them are in that kind of 9 10 range and then i'll look at their their main beams um uh colorado deer have better main beams that's why they have more bucks in the record book you can just go through boone and crockett and look at those main beams and you'll see a lot of 25 26 27 28 i mean i think burris's buck was 29 inch and 30 inch main beams i got giant main beams around here idaho wyoming you know the utah stuff i look at a 24 25 inch main beam is is getting out there you don't see a lot of them bigger than that and so when i look at their main beams i just as long as they've got averagely big main beams not sure if that's a word averagely big but you know i just say okay there's 50 inches of main beams there that's 25 per side um an inside spread you know, typically around here, 23 is actually pretty big, you know, 23, 24. And, and, and so if, if I can get 75 inches out of their main beams and their inside spread, if I can get it close to that, I just move on. And so that's where some of my error is coming. That's why I wouldn't say I'm really good at getting them within the inch. But I'm just finding most of the time – that's just a bunch of hokey stuff that guys talk about. And when I'm standing next to them on the hill and they see a big buck, they're just crapping their pants is what's happening. They're, they're falling apart. They're like, let's kill this deer. And I may even say, you know, you realize he's a three-point on the back, right? He doesn't have a G3. Oh, no, I didn't even notice that. But I'm like, but it doesn't matter. If you like him, let's kill him. You know, so that's kind of the angle I come from on, on the whole score thing. And I even said it in my book. It's, I don't think it's as important as it used to be because there's not as many big bucks as there used to be. And to me, I've got a kind of a wider range on what I'll kill. Now, yeah, you give me a, you know, a, a, a top five buck tag and, you know, top five units of the West, and I've got, you know, helper friends or I'm going with an outfitter. Yeah, I'm going to get a little more picky. I'm going to be like, hey, are you sure that's a 195 buck? and not a 193, I'm going to care about that stuff. But I found in the last 20 years, if I see a 193 or a 195, I don't care. I'm trying to kill that deer. You know, I'm, I'm not wasting any time. I'm getting on the rifle or I'm starting the stock or whatever. And, and, and that, that's, that's how I look at the whole score thing, Aaron. Well, and I'm, you couldn't have actually given your spiel any better because that is because I'm not a – um, a, a, a true trophy hunter. Frank's probably a little bit better than I am to a certain degree. You know, I kind of have, you know, goals and I don't know, like Frank, what was you, you just wanted to shoot a, a good buck this year, basically something in that 165 plus range. I mean, what were you looking at? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, for me at least, um, it depends on the amount of time we have to hunt this year. We had a lot of time to hunt for archery deer. So I wanted 
you know, I guess 165 is not huge or anything, but I wanted something respectable and, and I wanted to, to find something nice to, to, to hang up on the wall. But, um, yeah, I think for me, it just depends on the, on the amount of time. Um, I went to Idaho with, with uh, Jordan Cower, and we didn't have a whole heck of a lot of time. He couldn't end up. He didn't end up getting a deer tag, so he was going to go hunt elk um, after a couple of days. So I decided just to put a tag on on whatever we could find. So um, I think it for me, it's just dependent on on how much time we can actually hunt. Well, and I I think that what I try to explain to people, and I, you know, with what you said about scoring, like if you, you know, because guys will draw these tags that. Um, you know, their ability is, is far from maybe the opportunity, if that makes any sense. Like you draw a unit 44 rut tag, you're going to want to get some guidance on how to score an animal. Mm -hmm. Meaning, and, 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 mm -hmm. and, and this is kind of where this is leading up to the body size for one. I mean, it's worse on something like a mountain goat, but you can get a big rack three and a half that's adding 10, 15. Well, that's an exaggeration, but maybe not. Adding Tiff 10, 15 inches because his body and neck aren't dwarfing his horns. Um, and so. I don't think it's an exaggeration. I've seen guys, this guy has done it. I've seen guys miss them by 15 inches. As you say, this guy, I also need to say that, meaning these are all mistakes I've made and I'm still by no means an expert. But what I look for now is a suede back and a pot belly. If they've got those two mm -hmm. characteristics, potentially, you know, gone it up hips. They're getting up there in age. They're definitely over four and a half. Mm -hmm. So just as in general, mm -hmm. if you're kind of green or you don't exactly know what you're doing, if they've got a straight back that you can play chess off of, they're three, probably. Mm -hmm. if, if they don't have mm -hmm. a real, you know, I kind of go suede back, you know, four and a half plus. You know, they got a big pot belly, gone it up hips. They're, they're look, getting in that five, six-year-old range or more. Then I look at the bases. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's got big bases. That's a good sign for age. You know, if they've got a bunch of shit growing off of them, not always the case, but sometimes that's, all right, well, that's a cool factor. And then I look, mm -hmm. you know, the face, they got a big Roman nose. Okay, that's a shooter in the sense of age to me. If they've hit all those, mm -hmm. I'm not looking at the rack much more after that, like mm -hmm. in, unless it's just horrible. Now, when I look at the rack, if it's got 23 to 25-inch main beams, I'm probably going to kill it. Like, well, I say I probably, mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to kill it, but it's like, okay, you're getting into the shooter category characteristics now. And I kind of break it down from there to where I go at it so fast. Meaning if I can see, especially with a recurve, but a compound or a guy coming out West, if you're hitting most of those characteristics, forget about mm -hmm. the score, just go shoot it. You've shot an old buck, right? I mean, you know, there you go. when you start getting into the score, for example, and I'm just using my deer because we just shot him. I shot him in 2016 that the Alberta buck that I had killed with the recurve. Yeah, the, the big Alberta buck. I was just thinking about that as you were talking about that. And, and I kind of under... Was a, wasn't he like a three on the back? Or, I mean, he wasn't a great scoring buck, right? No, he, yeah, he was an... Am I the right one? Yep, he was an okay scoring buck, but old and massive. And so and massive, dude. Exactly. When people ask That's me what I'm talking about right there. Well, yeah, when people ask me the score, I can pass that deer off to the unknowing as a 180 buck. Easy. Because it's so massive. But to the people in the know, yeah, it's more of a 160s buck. Now I'll shoot that buck every yeah. year, twice on Sundays. The buck had giant, big-ass frame. It had stickers kicking out everywhere. That helped it as far as just the gross score because it had an extra 17 inches of points sticking off of it. So that, that helped it quite a bit. And But, you, you know, fast forward to the buck. Let's say I killed 
uh, this year, that buck was fairly narrow, but old. It was We didn't know at the time it was missing an eye. So when I looked at it laying there, I'm like, that thing has a Roman nose like I've never seen. Great mass. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's kind of got a split there at the um, coming off the G3 or whatever. And, and I, you know, Lander is so worried about me shooting a young buck or a small buck. Like he's on the phone with Harder, like, dude, go get him. Is that deer big? And they're like, no, it's old. It's, you know, and I get in there and it got much, I mean, it, it had ground growage. When I came in behind it, I'm like, holy shit, that's bigger than I thought, uh, which was good. But like I, I try to explain to people as far as speed judging, and I'll quit running at the mouth, what do you say for speed judging? What are you looking at top, you know, one through five? Like, is it a shooter or not? It's all situational onto where I'm at. So let's just say I, I really do have a third season Colorado tag for 44. Um, I, I hunted that way back when it first became a, a draw unit. I had a good feel for what was there. And if you had any weather at all, you were pretty dumb to shoot a 180 buck. All right. Um, but let's just say I had it on a, a year where it was 60 degrees and just nobody seeing anything. I'm still going to hunt to day eight and a half, you know, nine. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hold off the trigger on those bucks. But if I see a buck that is at least four years old, which you've described it several times, so I won't go into it, how you can tell that, you know, maybe add some beat up ears to it. If there's any buck to doe ratio at all, he's going to have beat up ears. Takes them four or five years to fight enough to really cut up their ears usually. And then he's got good mass by good mass talking 34 inches or more of H measurements, which is going to be over five at the base, over five at H2, and then well into the fours on H3 and H4. If you don't know what that means, just go grab a score sheet and grab a rack and start measuring it. If he's got any of that and, and you know, he's, he's, he's got all five points per side, he better watch out. If I can kill him and it's, you know, it's late in the hunt, it's a warm hunt, he's going down. But if I see that buck and it's the second day, and, and whether there's weather or not, I'm probably going to pass that buck up unless he's 32 inches wide. You know, I'm going to, I'm probably just going to let him go. But if I've got snow and cold and I know the unit and I know where to go and, and all that other stuff, Aaron, I am looking for eight or nine points per side. I'm looking for something that's 30 or better. I'm looking for something with six inch bases and, and any, it needs to have at least a couple of those characteristics for me to pull the trigger on that tag. Now, let's just say I moved to a 55 uh, Colorado early season hunt. You know, I can hunt with a archery. I can hunt with a muzzleloader. There's not a rifle tag in there. So, I, But I'm hunting with those. There's not a lot of tags in that unit, so I know I can, you know, get up and into some of the more remote basins. I'm not going to have guys just walking through my deer hunt like what you guys had this year. You guys had to put up with all that. You, you had the best hunters in the unit camp right next to you. I know I'm probably not going to be dealing with that. Okay, dude, now I am looking for something that, that is in the 190s, and, and I am, I'm probably going to have time to look at him, too. It's early season. He's not just hauling butt into the timber, you know. He's probably going to let me see him at daylight. He might let me see him in the evening. He might even, heck, he might even bet on a little point and let me look at him for an hour. Then I'm going back through that math that I just told you, Aaron. You know, I'm looking at the looking at the at the time length and I'm comparing it. And the great thing thing about the early season is they're with other bucks, and so then you you're you're able to look at the body and compare it to the other deer instead of just like, well, I think he's got a pot belly because you know that's a relative term. Um, uh, um, and, and, but he's with another buck. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, he's definitely you know got some girth on him. So I'm 
I'm doing all that on that tag. But now let's just say we moved to Unit 71 in Idaho, just south of Pocatello there, you know, traditional really big buck country, some great genetics, can grow 38-inch deer, you know, that kind of place. But, dude, it hasn't – we haven't killed a big buck in that unit in 15 years to speak of. It's overhunted. It's just got a lot of problems, too many tags. You know, everybody gets out, off work at 4 o'clock. They're on the highest slipping peak. You know, those bucks are pretty picked over. So let's just say I'm hunting that unit. Then I'm – if I see something with 5-inch bases, <laughs> as long as he's taller than his ears, he's, he's in trouble unless I've seen a bigger buck. I've scouted another buck. You know, if, if, if he's got any age on him at all, He's in trouble. That's why there's no big bucks down there because it's so accessible. It's, there's just too many tags. But but do you see how I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of gauging it towards? Well, this is the opportunity that the unit provides. You can't kill something bigger than something that doesn't live there. Is what I'm getting at. And I see so many guys doing it. There's guys right now I know that have late buck hunts around here, dude. And they're looking for 200 or bust. And I'm sitting there thinking. I haven't seen a 200-inch buck in that unit even on the winter range in 10 years. Go hunt him. Go, go, go try. But if he doesn't exist, don't be too down in the mouth when you don't get one. And so yeah, I'm going on and on, but you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to kind of measure it against what does the unit offer. That's why I hate hunting new hunts. That's why I like going where a friend has gone. Or You know, if I was going to go to Alberta, I, w- I would just figure out a way to go with Aaron Snyder or go with the outfitter that you're going with because I want to go with somebody that can tell me, that's a shooter right there. We're not going to see another one of those. Or, uh, you know, I don't want to be up there on my own like, oh, that looks like a pretty big buck. That's a 180 buck. And I shoot it, and then I get back, and everybody's like, yeah, we have a lot of those. Oh, yeah. Really? That's no, a bummer. It... We're in Unit 74 in Idaho. I'm doing backflips. I just pulled a 180 buck out of a unit. There's probably only three bucks in the whole unit that big. Yeah, no, for for sure, and and I I mean it's kind of good that we're all on here because you've got Frank and I who are not at the level you're at, especially when it comes to to trophy hunting, where <laughs> I uh, you know bouncing back and forth on different stories. Um, I mean Frank, you hunted the hell out of that wide buck, and Robbie, I think you'd shoot that any day of the year. What is that thing? Thirty two wide. This one. That one right there. Uh, just uh, just over thirty, I think. Yeah, so just over 30, and it's, what, a 3 by 5 I have to look at it. Yeah, yeah I think so. It, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, you'd shoot it in most units, Robbie. It's just one of those bucks that has a wow factor to it. Um, but the, the the kind of the moral of the story here, like, do you remember on, on Rock Slide, I did that first live hunt for mule deer? Um, mm-hmm. And I ended up shooting a buck. It was a. It was at least four and a half. It was a decent buck, but not a great scoring buck, but a, a buck that I have a, a whole garage full of. I mean, that's kind of the generally the deer I would shoot. And mm-hmm. where you, if I remember correctly, made fun of me, I probably had a non-typical 200-plus inch with that deer and a typical 190 <laughs> and went on the stock, screwed it up a little bit, and those two blew out, and the one I shot stood up, and I'm like, oh, he's a decent buck, and he's over four. I'll kill him. You would probably opt to not shoot and keep hunting those other deer. I mean, I think. That's, that's, all, that's the only difference between you and me right there. It's nothing to do with who's a better hunter, who's a better scorer, who's anything. It's just that you're going to kill that buck, and you're going to move on, and next week you're going to kill an elk, and the next week you're going to kill a bear, and the next week you're going to kill another elk. That's just two different hunting styles is all it is. So if I was making fun, I don't really remember making fun of you. I just remember thinking, 
oh crap dude you knew where a 200 inch deer was and and you didn't go back no i didn't have a tag that's that's really the only difference right there is where i would be like i'll just give up the rest of my season and i'll camp right here until the snow's so deep i know the buck's gone that's that's just difference in styles is all it is i don't think it's in me um is the problem and and it's not it's it's a, <laughs> it's exactly dude it's not the mold you're cut from that's why you have 250 dead animals, and I got 30. Well, and I was, those kind of, I'm good for guys like you because I, I actually, a guy, the dude that killed that one this year I showed you that's like 250 or two, whatever, mm-hmm. he went in there and killed that buck. Um, sorry. Uh, I told a guy about that deer that is the most unknown, underrated mule deer hunter probably on the planet. Um, I can't even say his name because he'd probably get pissed, but he is uh one of those guys that is like you he will go back for 30 days and he killed that buck and that buck ended up scoring 211 the non-typical and he's mm-hmm. it was right where i said it would be um it took him four days five days of watching all these different deer until he finally found a way to get in on that deer for sure uh and get a shot i i I'm not I'm not very good at that. Frank, you're a little bit better than me, but the commitment that takes, I don't think until people get back there and do it, understand how hard it is to see seven, eight, nine, ten different deer that are shootable and saying, no, you know, I don't like that 172. <laughs> I'm just going to wait for the mm-hmm. 210 and pan out and hope to God no uh, other hunters come in. I mean, would you say uh, that how how many people do you know that can do that? That can Not just, very many, and, yeah. and that's and that and again, it's just a difference in hunters and what people like. You know, to me, it's 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 not a difference in who's a better hunter. It's just in what do they like, and and everything you just described about big mule deer hunting, Aaron, it is flipping boring. Hunting for big mule deer is boring. You typically are after one buck, or you're hunting a familiar place where you've seen other big bucks. You know, you're lucky if you get one or two shots a year. You don't get very many stocks. You go days and days without seeing the deer that you're after. It is boring, and it is not for everybody. But what I've learned with, you know, my my income level and what I can do and all this other stuff, it's the only way to consistently kill big deer. you got to put up with that. That big deer that I killed this year, dude, I was tent-bound for at least six hours of day, four to six hours of daylight a, a, a day. Um, because of the weather and no visibility. And, you know, I was seeing 24 to 27-inch bucks. I got them on video, but I didn't shoot them because I knew there was a better buck there. But I know guys that would go on that hunt, and it's not even that they're impatient. They just don't see the point of it. Yeah, there might be a 34-inch deer here, but that is a really nice deer down there, and he's 28. He's better than anything I've ever killed. I want to get him. I don't fault that guy. But... He's never going to kill anything bigger than about that right there because, um, you know, that's what turns his crank. That, 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 most guys kill bucks on curb appeal. That goes back to the whole score thing, why I'm not big on score. Because it's curb appeal. If he likes it, he's going to shoot it, and that's fine. But when he shoots it, he is done. He is out of there, you know. And, and where I've just kind of learned that I never, I rarely ever see the biggest buck first, I still – Unless I'm forgetting one, I've never killed a big buck on opening day, and and it's because he just he, it's just it's just a different game. You got to sort through more deer. You gotta you gotta wait for the other hunters to leave. You gotta let the storm break. Whatever it is, it's 
And I don't even want to say I'm more patient than people. I, I, I meet people that are way more patient than me. I mean, these guys sit in these tree stands for freaking eight to ten hours. I mean, my goodness, I'd, I'd be gouging my eyeballs out. I can't sit anywhere for eight to ten minutes unless I got the flu. Um, there's just no way to do that. But it's just, it's, just what I've, it's just what I've learned I have to do if I want to kill big deer on, on tags that you can get most, most of the time. That's really what it gets down to. And I don't know what tangent I just went off on, so I'll stop. But, you know, that's, that's the angle I look at. No, and I, I, like I said, I think it's good because, I mean, um, people listening in, there's going to be all walks of life and all types of different hunters. And I think it's important for people to understand if you, and in my opinion, and I, you know, I'd like to hear Frank in your opinion as well. If you're going on your first backpack, high country mule deer hunt, um, in a, in a good area, in a decent area, I think that if you're physically fit and, and you're not struggling to just stay back in the wilderness, which is a totally different topic, if you're doing fine back there, you should shoot to try to shoot a four inch uh, or four, <laughs> four and a half year old deer. That should be kind of your goal. Mm-hmm. And after halfway through the hunt or you're really starting to maybe dwindle down in, in energy is just shoot a good three year old deer, get one under your belt mm-hmm. and then kind of bridge mm-hmm. up from there. You know, I have, I don't know how many deer I've, I've personally shot in the high country, but some of the best hunts I've went on were, you know, came out with 155 to 165 inch, three or four year old deer because of what I got out of the hunt, not the animal. And that is where people really need to look at what they're trying to get out of it. If you're trying to just bring an animal home and have a good adventure, you know, you, you don't have enough experience. You probably screw up a few stocks. A four year old deer, I would say is a big victory because they're pretty smart. Um, and I don't, I mean, Frank, what do you think on that? Yeah, I think there's, there's more that goes into it than just the, the size of the animal. The, the experience is, is pretty huge for me. Um, and the adventure, I think just being out there and not knowing what, what could happen to the next moment is, is kind of cool. And, um, I guess it's not always about score, but there's nothing wrong with shooting, you know, holding out either. So. And, and I mean, Robbie, what do you think as far as like the first time guy going out west? I mean, what would your advice be as far as what to hold out for or not hold out for, um, you know, things like that? Be reasonable. And, and it's, it's still going to be situational specific. If you've got one of these high-end tags and you've done your homework and you've got, you know, maybe some, some, some helper friends or, you know, I'm not against outfitted hunts. Sometimes that's what you got to do if you want to get into an area, then you're going to have to kind of lean on what is the potential for the unit and, you know, what kind of help do I have? But if you're going blind, I'll give you an example. Glendon Mullins, he's one of our, our, our staff at Rock Slide. He's from Virginia. We put him on the staff because he was green to Western hunting. He brought the whole perspective of, I live in Virginia. I don't know crap about the West, but I want to go. And, and he's not a know-it-all. He doesn't try to pretend like he's, he's something that he's not. I mean, he's the first one to say, I have no clue what I'm doing. But we put him on, and, and he come out to Montana this year for his first hunt. And, you know, we talked a little bit. He, he posted on Rockslide about goals and stuff like that. And he just decided any, any buck with some curb appeal that he liked, that's what he was going to start with. It was his first mule deer. He came out to Montana, and he got one. I don't know. It's a 3 by 4 something. Who, who knows? But he's happy with it, and he's got that success under his belt now. He's had to, he's had to walk himself through the shock. He's had to think about the stock. He, I sent him a, a brand-new uh, Vortex, of that brand-new big Viper they have. I think it's an 85. I sent him some 10-power 10, 10 Vipers. You know, not what, not what they consider alpha glass, but good stuff for a guy to start with. He just loved it. 
you know, just got to glass, got to figure out all that stuff, and he got a buck. But I think he was satisfied because he didn't he didn't fall into the trap that man I got to have something for Instagram and you know I'm a rock slide staff member I got to kill a giant no no that's all a bunch of hokey crap you go go for what the what the unit can produce what your personal abilities are you know if you're brand new to the unit you don't have a friend there you don't have all the stuff. If you want to shoot for the moon, go for it, but don't be all down in the mouth when you don't get one. you got to start somewhere, and you can't just look on social media and go, well, this guy is first Western, honey, he got a 30-incher. Well, yeah, some people win the Powerball, too. You know, you got to kind of gauge it to what your, what, what your unit offers, what's there. And, Aaron, you know, I followed your, your archery hunt very close this year. Dude, you did all the stuff, really, that I, whether you meant to or not, that I'm talking about. You way i understand it you gave up an elk hunt to go back after that buck yeah and you targeted the best buck that you had a chance at in that unit you liked him he had whatever you said six and seven inch spaces you know there was a couple other good bucks there but you targeted him that was the buck that you went after um you know you had scouted it you'd seen you knew what was there you weren't just spouting off hey dude i gotta have a 190 or bust or you know anything like that and and you got it done and you killed a great a great deer and and that's why i have a lot of a big deer because i gauge it to what the unit can produce there's a bunch of guys right here that have late bucks i just mentioned them you watch they close next week i'm gonna i'm gonna get it's almost a template email from them i could just like send it out and have them fill in the blanks well, I I climbed every peak, I overcame every obstacle, I this, I that, you know, I, I went to the very end, and I just did not see a buck worthy of my standards. And so, therefore, I hang my head and, you know, walk away. It'd be something like that. And it's like, no, dude, you were hunting for a buck that didn't exist in the unit. That was the problem. And then they always say something six months later that's very similar to this. Like, you know, I saw that one buck the one, that one day, and now that I'm really thinking about it, he was probably like a 185. He had a couple of good kickers, better than anything I killed. I should have killed him. And it's like, you know what? You should have. But you didn't because you had some pie-in-the-sky goal. You listened to too many podcasts. You read too many articles by Robbie Denning, whatever it is. <laughs> you didn't match the reality to what, what was capable on the hill. And that's why when you got that buck this year, and I was like, kick ass i know that is not a giant buck factory unit that he's hunting in and he went for the one of the very best bucks he could find on that hunt he went back he gave up time on other hunts that's what it takes but it doesn't mean you're gonna get a 200 i am so sick of hearing about 200 inch deer i could throw up in my hands there's not very many of them you know and 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 when guys set their sights on that i think they're just setting themselves up for disappointment in most units yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think, and Frank has spent a ton of time back there. I mean, Frank, how many actual 200-inch deer do you think you've seen? Not counting Green Mountain and Roxborough. <laughs> in that unit, two, two in the, since I was a kid, yeah. hunting that's the same units, there's a group of probably three or four units down there and two. And and one one was like a couple years ago and then the other one was And we're tra- talking true typical or true 200 inch deer, not internet 200 with some Aaron Snyder camera skills. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And I'm back there as much as anyone. So is Frank. You just, you don't see the the one buck, um, which you, you, you might've shit your willies over this one. When I dropped in on these deer on that one, I killed Frank was watching in the spotter. I had that big wide buck. Did you ever see photos of that, Robbie? No. 
Oh, uh, what Must is he? Thirty. Over, I forgot it. I'll text them to you. What do you think? Thirty-four wine. Yeah, just crazy wide. So probably thirty-four wide. Another this, another deer. It was those were the two I was after. He had got yeah. shot in the ass by yeah, a different hunter opening day. We stayed on him, and and that thing was kind of grandfathered into that guy. So he, you know what I mean. One of the guys on the mountain I'd ran into, but when I dropped yeah. down on the buck I killed. Because of my weapon, which is my own choice, the other buck was at 43 or 48, the wide one, which I would have taken uh-huh. that shot on flat ground. And then I had the buck I killed. They were like riding buddies. Everywhere they bedded was strategic. Everywhere they faced was mm-hmm. strategic. They were just, they probably spent three years on the side of that mountain together. They never left each other's side. And mm-hmm. it was depressing in fact i don't know if you saw the stock when i where i dropped down to kill that deer was not cool um oh, I know. It's deep. And, and and that other the bigger buck was just past the one i killed down and it was just a shot i couldn't take and for me i was a chicken and and maybe adventuring even more i would have had to get so close to the buck i killed i guarantee i would have blown them both out and we were running out of time, and, and quite honestly, we, we were running out of, when I say time, they don't hang out in the high country forever. And the one mm-hmm. wide buck has already lost his velvet. My buck I killed was one of the very last to hold on to its velvet. And I was worried they were going to go in the trees, and I was going to be up shit creek without mm-hmm. a paddle. And so when I had the opportunity that one I killed, especially when I could see his bases, I was like, yeah, I'm not pushing it. I'm lucky I got to this one on these cliffs. But it, I I do, for me, holding out was pretty crazy. Now, will I do it next year? I mean, I don't know. I mean, we're talking, you know, kind of bounce back here. Frank's looking. You might hunt muzzleloader, right? Yeah, I was just looking into to options for try something new, I guess. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, if, if Frank hunts muzzleloader, kind of what we're looking at is I'll be back in there with the recurve the first two weeks of season and figuring out what's what and who's who and then – Frank grabs a muzzleloader right after that because we're going to be, we're going to know two weeks worth of data to Frank can transfer over to with a muzzleloader, which would be potentially pretty epic, you know? Recipe for success. Well, we hope That's so. That's how you kill the big ones right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was some bucks in there. I don't know. That one, Omni missed one that was pretty dang good um you know and and obviously your distance you know you're stretching out your distance a bit more than what you can do with a compound but um robbie before we're working on an hour and a half here do you got some other stuff you want to add yeah dude and let's cover the whole social media thing on on the scores that guys put up on social media i know you touched on that a second ago and kind of made a joke about the photography but what i've seen the last kind of basically this hunting season where I really started to pay attention to it. And I'm not talking rock slide. I mean, I think rock slide is enough of a closed community that if you get on there and start, you know, flapping your jaw and, and over inflating scores and stuff like that, you're going to get called out so flipping fast. And, you know, it's going to be, be from your peers. You know, most people know each other on there some, somewhat. I'm talking more of kind of the, uh, the, the not more anonymous stuff like Instagram and Facebook. And I've seen this, several times this fall and a guy will get on there and he will post up a buck and he will say it let's just say 200 in fact there was one that was exactly 200 an older fellow killed him i think he was on a guided hunt which is all cool whatever it takes and he you know and he gave that little thing that's kind of almost becoming like a soapbox of you know i 
hunted so hard and you know i was hungry and i was tired and i didn't have any boots on you know all that stuff and finally at the last second of the last day i killed the mighty 200 you know just something like that i mean you're you're just asking for it when you're putting stuff up there like that by the way guys you know if you if you try to overinflate how hard the hunt was you know it's you you're just painting a target on yourself well that wasn't such a big deal, but then he said the buck was, he said 200. He said it right in the thing, you know, my first 200. And he just got drilled by guys, you know, taking pictures of tape measures and sending it to him and, you know, all these funny memes. And the guy got all bent out of shape and like, you know, this is the demise of hunting. And, you know, you guys are attacking a fellow hunter. It was like, wait a minute, dude, you're the one that got on there and told us you killed a 200-inch deer under the most severe conditions ever in the history of man. And people are not just going to roll over and pee on themselves and go, okay, well, he says it's 200, so it is one. It's obviously not. Now, I'm not saying we need to go out and pick apart everybody's deer. We shouldn't do that. But if you're getting on the Internet and you're trying to say something is 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 and it's like you know a 400 bull and it's a 350 or a 200 buck and it's a 180. Don't expect people to not say anything. They are not attacking you. They are just saying, look, this doesn't add up. And I read a lot of the comments and you know, he was saying, oh, people are vile. And I'm like, I don't see anybody on here that's doing any more than saying, dude, I don't believe it. I mean, you need to remeasure it. And the, you know, the guy was trying to say, oh, my guide said it was this big. Da, 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 da. And so I just wanted to kind of say that that when you put stuff out there on the internet. Be prepared to defend it. And if you don't want to defend it, don't stretch it out. Don't tell a bunch of bull crap. Don't make yourself sound like the greatest hunter that man has ever known. Because if you do and you get attacked, don't blame it on the people that are – people don't want to be buffaloes. People don't like to be lied to. And I've seen a lot of that this year. Maybe I've just paid more attention to it. But I've seen guys do that, and I'm always, like, thinking, what did you expect? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I do. I try not to, I mean, being in a position where I'm criticized a bit or whatever, I try not to get in the mix of, of, of any of it. Um, me, you know, meaning good or, or bad just cause, um, being on, um, you know, forums, I'm going to try and be as careful as I can here without getting bashed again. Um, you find all walks of life on forums. You find guys that live in their mom's basement and repeat what Robbie Denning is saying and will contradict anything anyone puts on the Internet. And then you'll find other guys that are extremely helpful and don't want to get in the drama. And then you'll find the occasional guy that posts things that probably need to be criticized um, or, or guaranteed need to be criticized. I think that... Um, trying as long as you stay politically correct and you and i talked about this on the last bash fest about me you and i talked about this i'm like robbie there is they have good points on there i can be arrogant or i did overjudge the deer or you know what i said i hiked 20 miles that day and i probably did 11 yeah you're deserving some criticism including me you know what i mean and and i think that as long as people are being positive and constructive or throwing out the question and not being a total a-hole I don't see anything wrong with it because you do, I mean, Frank, you and I have talked about it. One specific guy, you know, was posting scores and I'm like, there is no way you're 20 inches higher than what that deer scored. (laughs) Now, I don't choose to say anything because then you kind of end up looking like a, you know, an a-hole or you can sometimes. But I think if someone just got on and said, I'm super proud of this buck, 
not sure of the score. What do you guys think? Uh, my outfitter said this number, but I'm thinking this one where you, it's more of a learning thing. I think if you go about yeah. it that way is way better than I, you know, hike 17 mountains and, and, you know, cut three fingers off and shot a 200 inch deer. And I'm going to thank God now. <laughs> yeah. You're asking for some, for some criticism. And, and I just don't get on the forums anymore because I don't want to deal with it. I, I truly wish I had more patience because it is, it is, I like to help people, but with the social media stuff, um, you have people with ulterior motives as well. And that's another thing I kind of have, you know, try to stay out of or whatever. And, and again, as long as you're being positive um, or, or realistic um, concerns or complaints, dude, I don't have any problem with that. And, you know, sometimes with the scoring thing, you're just asking for, I mean, who gives a shit anyway? Just post your photo up and say it's the best deer I've ever killed <laughs> to me. Yeah, but. if you like the deer, if you took the deer's life, don't apologize. You don't need to apologize. We're going to like your deer, short of just the real trolls that are out there. Um, people are, if you're okay with it, we're okay with it. You know, if you put up a buck that's 24 inches wide and it's your best buck or it's not, you overjudge it. Dude, no biggie, man. We've all done it. It's not a big deal. You don't need to create a false persona. And that's what I was trying to address is that, that when people do that stuff, then they get all bent out of shape because people see through it. It's like, you started it. What do you expect? And I'm like you, Aaron. I, I don't say very much. I just try to try to move on. But I also know I don't need to say anything because there's going to be a hundred other guys that are going to jump right on it because people don't like to be fed a bunch of bull crap. And don't be surprised when, 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 if you post a bunch of bull crap, if somebody calls you out, that, that's all I'm saying. And you don't need to apologize for your hunt. You don't need to tell us how hard it was, anything like that. I mean, if it was go for it, but I'm just saying that don't paint a target on yourself. People, people don't like that stuff. And, and, you, what you just said, Aaron, you know, I like it when guys are like, hey, I don't know what this buck scores, but I liked him. If you guys want to throw out a score, go ahead. Yeah, that's, that stuff's fun to participate in. But, you know, these ones of, you know, the greatest giant buck of all time. And, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just getting, I guess I'm just getting tired of it and it's getting old. Yeah. Well, I just ignore it. It's worked for me for a while here. But, I, you know, a guy last night actually on the Mule Deer Hunter, which I don't get on there very much, cause, but I posted a couple of photos I'd shot of a deer I've shot. And on a different post, a guy said, would you believe I just spotted a 184 by two, which is almost mathematically impossible. But he, I didn't say anything, but he was funny because he came back later, they killed it. And he said, well, it wasn't even close to 180, which I think is smart. Good for him. Oh yeah, he was he was Good laughing about it. He and, admitted it. Oh yeah, and 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 I've done I've gone both ways. In fact, that buck that Frank and Perk killed, when I saw that when it ran off with Perk, I was like, Jesus, I underjudged that. That buck is way bigger than I thought it was. Which generally it's the other way around. Um, but you know, when you get like I said, as long as it's positive, semi-constructive, um, you know, kind of like what you and I talked about when I was like, Hey man, there's some valid points in there. Like I don't you know, dude, I'm deserving of some of that, you know, whatever. But it, 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 again, I think the biggest thing is you're going to have people that are truly out to just search for stuff to complain about. There's going to be other mm -hmm. people that are truly out to defend, even if they're probably wrong. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. you guys are horrible. You shouldn't be picking on this guy. It's his first year. Well, Maybe you shouldn't yeah. have put a number up there. That might have solved a lot of problems, right? Like if I said, hey, I close grip bench press 550 and I weigh 165 pounds, I'm asking for problems, right? Like, Show us. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, Show it, us the video right now is what guys are going to say, and I don't blame them. I agree, and that's what I mean, kind of transferring it over into other, you know, whether it be photography or weightlifting. or If you spout off a number, and this happens a lot on weightlifting forums, yeah, I, you know, started at this weight and I'm up to here, and in six months I'm bench pressing 405 now. You're asking when you throw out numbers like that. Maybe you're not lying, but you better be ready to prove it because those are numbers that a lot of people will never achieve. And if you get somebody that's hunted a 200-inch mule deer or worked at benching 405 for 20 years and have never done it, and you post you have, there better be a video or a tape measure locked on the side of it. Otherwise, they're not going to believe you, and you're just asking for and criticism. And then don't get all bent out of shape when people ask for it. That, that's all I'm saying right there. A lot of hunters bring this stuff on themselves. Just tell the freaking truth. That's what it gets down to. And Aaron, on that thread you were talking about, you know, you mentioned something that, about people's motivations. And, you know, it, it can be hard to really know what people's motivations are. But I know that you, you know, you know who all your customers are at Kafaru. You know who's ordering your stuff. And when a guy gets on a thread and says, I don't know if I'm going to support Kafaru because of Aaron, and yet he's never supported Kafaru anyways, that makes me uh, question his motives. Like, what, you're just throwing out uh, something for people to dogpile on and making it sound like, you know, you've been supporting Kafaru, you've been buying all these products, you never bought a Kafaru product in your life. And that stuff, too, when, when people start throwing that out there about, hey, I didn't like Aaron's podcast, so I'm not going to support Kafaru. Okay, that's your right, but don't make it sound like you're, you know, a former customer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the way I kind of look at it, and, and I don't, I, I like threads like that to a certain degree because it gives me certain things to think about on future podcasts it probably won't change the way i am because i just talk too much and i and i can be arrogant but meaning guests that's the big one like for me who i'm going to bring on next and in the case of with you i don't need to do a whole lot of talking because you carry the you're you're carrying the the, uh, conversation which is huge but the one thing that you kind of have to look at if you go to a free italian food restaurant and you don't like it and you walk outside and you pick at it and then you write bad reviews on it, there may be an ulterior motive other than just uh-huh. maybe whisper into the cook like, hey, dude, you know, my food was a little bit undercooked, dude. Like, hey, that might be something you want to work on. Maybe you should just go down to the free Chinese food restaurant if you don't like the free Italian food restaurant unless you're truly looking to give constructive criticism. Like with you guys, I've mentioned to Ryan before on Roxanne, I'm like, hey, dude, you might want to you know, take a look at this. It might be something you want to look at. Or you, you've been like, well, Aaron, you might want to look at this. I'm totally for that. And the same thing with guys, if they're judging, like you talked about, if you don't know how to judge and believe me, I'm, you know, in previous years, guilty of this over or under judging or whatever. There's nothing wrong with learning, right? There's nothing, <laughs> nothing wrong with asking questions, right. you know, as long as it's for the greater right. good of whether it be you or whatever, I'm all for that. But, you know, you're in a position over there, much like Frank and I are in, you kind of got yourself to where you, you're in a public's eye a bit, you're trying to control so many different personalities and you can't please everyone. You guys get bitched at for one thing or another, and then you get a ton of happy mm-hmm. stuff. And it's just, it is what it is. And I don't, I don't get too wrapped up in it anymore. I mean, I, I think that, well, it's funny that same guy we were talking about actually gave us our only one star review on iTunes. I think we have 1580 or something reviews and you know, 1570 of them are five stars. One of them's a one star. It's that same special flower. 
that guy to me, I mean, he's right? got an They're, ulterior motive. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about is we, you know, we, we can't know people's motivations. That's God territory. We don't know what's truly in a person's heart or what they're doing. But when we see a pattern of somebody like, well, I don't like this about the podcast and I don't like this. And I don't like that. All of a sudden they're just every chance they get, they're knocking. I have found that once you peel back the layers and usually what ends up happening is I end up knowing somebody that knows that person and they're like, Oh yeah, they hate Aaron or they hate Kafaru or they hate Christensen arms or whatever. They're, they're, they're doing everything they can to create smear. And it's yet when you read their posts or whatever, they, they, they almost come across as kind of a reasonable, nice guy. And it's like, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, you remember when little buff got banned off of, Rockslide. I've had more people, you know, tell me, oh, but dude, he's a nice guy if you just knew him. I'm like, you know what? Most of the people I banned off of Rockslide, somebody eventually tells me they're a nice guy. But if they got banned, that just tells me they're two-faced is what they are. They are a nice guy. When they're standing in front of you and they're your friend, yeah, they are a nice guy. But you give them the anonymity power of the internet. Ah, there you think, Aaron. Yeah, that. <laughs> Then they get they 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 show their true self is what they do. You remember that, Aaron, and that's why uh, you know there's a whole list of them on Rockslide of guys that are like, "Oh, you shouldn't have banned this guy." And I say, "No, he's a prick. He was pissing off more people. He was attacking people. He was trying to be funny at other people's expenses." I don't care if the guy walks in and buys me a prime rib dinner tonight. He might be a nice guy face to face, but when you see when you see their true motivation by their actions, it makes me think. Mm, you're not invited to the party. Well, here's the thing. If you don't like Frank making, you know, an occasional booby joke or foul language or you don't like me, you know, talking shit or, or whatever, I, I'm not saying I don't want you on the podcast, but I'm saying we don't get paid for this podcast. We just like to help people and tell our adventures. And so for every thousand comments we get, if we get one or two bad ones, it just is what it is, you know, and there's certain I'm not saying I don't take criticism because even off that post and talking with you, there's certain things I'm like, you know, we do talk about me shooting a lot and we probably shouldn't. I don't mean to come off one way or another. And I know it's like Frank certainly doesn't mean Frank's not a cougar hunter. That's kind of <laughs> Frank's dated one cougar or whatever. But oh, as time goes on, there's going to be 85 or 90 people or 8,500 to 9,000 or 850,000 to 900,000 that love us. There's going to be some that are like, eh, I kind of like them, but I don't like the foul language. And then there's going to be that percentage that hates us. And I mean hate and that's at what a I'm deep level. right there. Yep. That's at a deep level. One – I don't really care what that person thinks because it's not constructive. You don't like me because I pissed off your friend or made fun of you or did something. And I'm sorry I did that, but leave me alone. Um, <laughs> the ones that get on there that I truly like that send me messages or make comments are like, hey, dude, please stop talking about FOC. Get Tom Clum back on. Or can you get Robbie on there? I want to hear about mule deer. I don't want to hear about traditional archery. I love those. That's what I want to hear. Mm-hmm. because that gives mm-hmm. us that that tells us the blueprint or where we need to go from here because if frank and i just guess we're just going to talk about mule deer recurves compounds and i don't know copenhagen and kombucha i don't whatever so yeah we need some guidance for sure and and that's the same thing like you were talking about on a forum the number one reason i don't get on a forum and i get asked this constantly is if i get on there and somebody asks me about a stove I'm not saying what I'm saying is gospel, but what I am saying is I don't want to argue about it because if I post it, there is no argument. That is what I think is the best. I don't want to argue mm-hmm. about it 
off of experience. And and you can call me arrogant for that, but it, Robbie, if I ask you what caliber of gun you shoot, do you want to argue about it? Or is no, that I just want to tell you what I like. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Like and it's like and who am I to argue with a guy that has more dead deer on the side of his wall, you know what I mean, than the, the Colorado Department of Wildlife. You've killed more shit than most people will in a lifetime when it comes to big deer. Why would I argue with you? You are just on there trying to help. And that's why I don't get on there as much anymore as, you know, the time. Like, I can hopefully help people in other ways. And and, uh, and I know, like with Frank, he, I mean, what, Frank, forum-wise, you I mean, Frank has gotten to a point where I think he was going to throw his computer before um, looking at people being deceitful in what they post or maniacal. And it's hard for to deal with when you own a business. I'm sure it's hard for you to, you know, be the owner of Rockslide and see some of the things you see. That's Mm -hmm. how you get banned. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and Aaron, what you were saying about, I just want to, you know, try to help people from my opinion. and, 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 you know, that's a lot of what we're just trying to put out there. And you're right. I don't think... And maybe people aren't even intentional about it. I don't know. But when they start, let's just say they are arguing or debating, I just don't have time. That's, I mean, I don't have time to argue with them. I just wanted to say, like right now I'm shooting a 270 Winchester short magnum. I like it better than a 7 mag. I shot a 7 mag for 25 years. I'm not bashing 7 mags. But, you know, I cut my eye open many times. Um, Why don't you me, shoot a 6.5 Creedmoor? I'm just kidding. Sorry, well, go ahead. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about right there. You know, but, but what I'm saying is I like a 270 Winchester short mag right now. If you wrote, read an article I, I wrote 10 years ago and I like seven mags, I'm not contradicting myself. I can learn. I can change my mind. And sometimes I've noticed that, you know, on some of your posts or, you know, other people that, you know, have an expertise in somewhere that people are like, well, wait a minute. You said such and such at this time. It's like, well, can't we learn? Can't we change our mind? Can't we be wrong? That's that's the kind of stuff that I think scares a lot of people away from the internet and rock slide and stuff like that. And 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 so I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this other than people have the right to change their minds. People have the right to like something. Everybody's biased about something. You know, I if I get on a uh, 747 to go somewhere and I walk by that uh, 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 cockpit, I want to see a gray-haired guy in there that's about 60 years old that has. 50,000 hours of experience. I'm biased towards that guy, all right? Uh, that's what I that's what I want to see, all right? The the young whippersnapper that's just out of flight school that has 6,000 hours, hey, that's all good, but I, I, I want that. Okay, yeah, so I'm biased is what I'm getting back, and that's not my idea, by the way. I get that off a of Seth Godin blog, but we're all biased, and so, Aaron, you're going to be biased towards the gear you've used, and in many cases, it's going to be Kafaru, but you use a lot of different gear, but if, if you want to get on and say something on Rockslide, and now you can't anymore. That's we lost that resource. And I'm just telling everybody out there that's because of the nitpicking and the arguing and the well, what about this? Or you said this? Or you know you're biased or whatever. It ends up driving people away from the conversation that really could be pretty valuable to it. Did you read that thread at all? Uh, yeah, I it's saw pretty it. Pretty comical. I uh, I read the one guy if when the one dude said you know damn good and well if someone like that got on here and posted. He would get blasted, and then guys were like, actually, and brought to you by, in part, by Aaron Snyder, just because we started the website. But, you know, the thing is, mm-hmm. if, if mm-hmm. I get on there yeah. and I start talking about shooting 80-yard groups with a bow, and I'm like, hey, man, I've tried that. It does not work. You know, whatever. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm sure I come across that way because I, I can be a very confident person. The thing that's, I guess, what I'm trying to say is, look, I'm trying to save you time. 
when you're talking from experience is the thing. Yeah, and, and, and again, when if someone comes back and and shows me something different, then I'll be like, hey, that what this guy's doing is working too, whatever the case may be. And I don't, um, you know, before we get bashed for talking about this, which seems to inevitably happen, I think what's best for people is before you post, take a step back, think about what you're about to say, and ask yourself, is, is it constructive is it positive? It, you know, is someone going to learn is something from this? Yeah, yep, and that's the final one. Is there truth to this statement? Or is this something I'm doing just to be an asshole? And generally the guys that do it just to be an asshole and stir up shit get banned. Some people have kind of figured out you know, ways around that. They're a little bit more deceiving. But if you're not doing it and covering any of those, you probably shouldn't post you know what I mean? Like you, it's probably not worthwhile throwing down there because if it's not learning or constructive or whatever, why are you putting it down? It's probably then a negative. So, and that's kind of what I've learned, I guess, with my time on forums. <laughs> yep. And you're right. You're right. I think forums and, you know, people's Facebook groups and pages, they can be such a good resource, but I, I always hit on this stuff with you because, you know, we both come from a social media background that it can become the sewer of the world as well. And that just usually gets down to a few people behaving badly. And, um, and I've seen it on rock slide. I think we turned that corner. I don't have to call very many people out anymore. The members themselves do it. Um, you know, and it's not perfect. It's not a perfect group. You know, there's still, still stuff like that. You know, we banned a couple guys last week, but for the most part, just everything you just said, Aaron, about being constructive, truthful, you know, make sure you have some experience with it. Man, that's, that's the, the, the bright side of social media to me right there. That's where I think social media is awesome. You know, that's why I follow your page and, you know, Frank and, you know, every, everybody else out there. That's why I try to try, try to, to do that because we can learn. You said that earlier. It's just about learning, but you know, don't, don't be the divisive ass that gets on there and just, just tears things apart. Last thing on your podcast, Aaron, you, you were talking about, um, you know, people not liking certain things. Aaron, there's stuff you go over on your podcast that I don't listen to. You know, I, I don't, I try not to use those words, you know, whatever. There's a little button on there on mine that says 15 and I push it <laughs> and it goes forward 15 seconds, you know, and that's what I, that's what I was trying to say on that thread too, is guys, if you don't like the podcast then great, don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. But there was a lot of guys in the middle there that were like, oh, no, I really like the podcast. Yeah, I can't play it in the car on some of them with my kids. But those guys were really like saying, hey, we got choices here. We can we not listen to certain podcasts or we can fast forward it. And I do that with all podcasts. And it, it maybe it's not even anything to do with being vulgar. It could just be like, ah, I don't like that subject or that's boring. And to me, that's the beauty of podcasts right there is, man, I can pick and choose which ones and which parts and, and all that other stuff. So when guys are just continuing to bloviate about, well, I don't like that Aaron talked this way or they talked about cougars or whatever, <laughs> well, then don't listen or hit fast forward. I, I, it gets back to the free thing you were talking. It's free. You, know, nobody, you didn't pay for this. There's sometimes you get on a podcast like where I talk with Chris Rowe. I love talking to Chris Rowe back and forth, just like you, going back and forth. And there's going to be people that say, like, hey, you, you need to shut up, right? Or, hey, Frank, I get a lot. Frank needs to talk more. Okay, well, maybe it's not in Frank's nature to talk that much. Maybe it's in my nature to talk too much. If you don't like that, I don't like Oprah. 
Why would I watch <laughs> Oprah just to bitch about Oprah? That mm-hmm. turns me into having, mm-hmm. I need to take medication because I have psychological issues. So, <laughs> you know, if I don't like the pool, I don't go near water. Um, and, and there's going to be certain things that, you know, I encourage people like, hey, we do want feedback on some stuff. But again, if, um, if you, there's going to be times none of us are perfect. And again, I am overly confident in my, my shooting and things like that. And it's not, I think somebody posted, um, it may, I don't know. I have some, it feel, I don't know what the word was. I self-conscious. I don't, anyway, I just like talking about shooting. I love talking about shooting. I love talking about archery, but you know what? I mean, in the end, Frank and I both are trying to help people. And if occasionally you get frustrated because Frank makes a cougar joke or talks about boobs or I don't know, whatever. Well, you got to take the go. What's the Bible say? You got to love people for who they are, not who you want them to be. Isn't that something like that? You're much more up on it than I am. Yeah. Not everybody's going to be like you. And, and that's what I mean. Ernest, I may not talk that way very often sometimes i do but it takes um, a lot i've tried to but, get you to cuss and it but, just doesn't happen i know I, and, and you've heard it a couple times you guys always like <laughs> hold it over my head too but, but yeah just 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 don't judge and if you don't like the podcast you cannot listen to it that's what i kind of took away from that thread and i you know you were in the tree stand and we were texting back and forth and you even said this that hey there's a lot of reasonable stuff on there there really there's not a lot of a guy's attacking on there and and that was what I took away from it. Hey, there's some constructive criticism there. And, you know, Aaron, you know, if people want to go on there, look at it. It's, a, it's called What Happened to Kaparucast. Go look at it. I think you'll see. And, Aaron, you stayed out of the fray, but you did answer it. And you just said, hey, you know, this is thanks for the good and the bad advice. And, and you know, what? It, I don't know if you noticed, that pretty much killed the argument right there. People quit arguing because I think they saw that, huh, Aaron's not all twisted up over this you know he's he and you don't have to agree with all your critics either but we we do have to listen to them a little bit oh yeah i'm off on a tangent again but you know there but 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 that's the good part of social media is what i'm saying that's the good the good part of it and i think if we can just keep the trolls from getting in there and mixing it up and you know people with bad intentions and everything because they are out there there are true haters out there i've seen it and i usually i'm the first one that's fooled by them i somebody usually has to point it out for me to finally get it that okay you are in a bit of a bubble (laughs) yeah no i am dude the the thing is is um (laughs) the one thing that those people don't see that we do is i don't know hundreds and i mean we get comments constantly please don't stop i mean from that thread i guarantee over the course of seven days of hunting, I got 200 messages. Please don't change a thing. You're the only pure podcast wow. left. I mean, and that's no bullshit. At least they said you and Frank are doing it the right way. Please don't change a thing, obviously, other than maybe the foul language. And then there's also the downloads. You know, what, what are we at? Mm-hmm. 1.5 million on Podbean in eight months, nine months. Mm-hmm. That's a lot mm-hmm. of downloads. Okay, so... Of course, we're going to piss people off in the interim. It's going to happen. And of course, we're going to make a lot of people happy. So, and that's what I'm saying. If people message Frank or myself and say, dude, can you get Aaron to shut up about his shooting and please get him talking about gear again? We don't get, Frank's going to make fun of me. I'm like, yeah, fuck, I didn't need to shut up. <laughs> that's it. I mean, and that's, I, I don't know if you remember, like when I, I made fun of Cameron Haynes once and said, you need to put a shirt on. I'm tired of seeing your nipples. The nipples. The I did not how could I forget it? mean anything like I'm a <laughs> hater of camera. That is how Frank and I's humors work. If I'm eating a piece of cake, Frank's going to call me a fat bastard. <laughs> I don't care, right? If Robbie, I make fun of you for being a close talker. 
Like you get right up in my grill, like close. <laughs> have you ever got the opinion that I don't like you, Robbie? Like have, that I that I wish you ill will? I I would think. Well, I did yell at you once, but I think not. What I do, what you would get out of it is I have a sense of humor, and you're gonna be like Jesus, Aaron, you got a fat head. I don't care. I do have a fat head. And, and dude, you never really said anything until I tried to kiss you. And yeah. After that, I got to <laughs> well, you just, Robbie, you're, you you have that Asian space close talking distance. You get right up in someone's grill, and I have like this, I don't know what you want to call it, aura about me. Three where, feet. Oh, three to five. I got to be three <laughs> to five away. But my, my point is with this is I think in good fun, Frank and I have super thick skin when it comes to stuff like that. But when you're an all-out hater, my thick skin turns pretty thin. And I'm like, hey, tell me your name and tell me where you live and let's talk about this face-to-face. Because if you're man enough to say it, then I'm good with it. But most of the time, the last guy's review that we're talking about, his name was Anonymous Hunter. Okay, that kind of stuff does bug me. So, again, I'm all for – I mean, and Frank, chime in. I mean, you don't mind. We get all kinds of constructive criticism. Um yeah, we do a lot of. We get a lot of messages, and it's a, we get a lot of construct. It's constructive, and you know, if, it's kind of funny because we don't get the direct messages from the people that are just hating just to be a hater. Yeah, that asshole that said he was going to email us, he didn't email us. There's no email in our email yeah. boxes, right? But a guy yeah. that emails and says, "Hey, Aaron, you got Robbie on. You totally screwed that up. You talked too much, and you forgot to talk about this." I don't take that in a bad way. I talk too much. You just have to deal with that. And we're going to try and get you on again, and we'll hit the good spots. So do I. I talk too much. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, well, cool, cool, man. And and, um, uh, uh, I thought that that thread ended well. And, um, um, you know, I just just think that there's a lot of people out there that can post without – don't you sometimes think, Aaron, that people that are maybe new to social media haven't been around it as much – I, sometimes I think they think it's a lot more anonymous than it is. Like they, they don't realize we all kind of know each other behind the scenes. And, you know, these are tighter communities than, than, than what you think. And sometimes they get on and they do that stuff. And then, you know, I think there's a lot of people on that thread sticking up for you. I don't think people, when they do that, realize, Oh wow, man, there's, there's a lot of people out there that know this guy, know this guy personally, you know, and I don't know, just, just talking, but it, it just, sometimes seems like newbies to the to the forums and stuff like that they don't realize hunting is a pretty small world you know people know who people are that's why when i ban somebody on rockslide i'll hear from somebody you know within a few months or something hey i know that guy man he's a pretty nice guy whatever blah 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 yeah no you're right i mean it is a very small community and you know um it it, it is what it is and i think if if is we about we, we're about to end this podcast if you take anything from this i think be yourself, you know, don't be fake, be positive, uh, be constructive, be informational. If you try to do all mm-hmm. of those things, there's not going to be a whole lot people can say against you. You know, you're going to find some haters, but I, I think as long as you're always positive, constructive, informational, those different things, um, at the very least, when you walk away from it, you, at least you knew you tried to help people and did it the right way, you know, and, and I think if you're going to take anything from that, that should be it from what we're talking about here after the mule deer subject. <laughs> I second that. Yeah. Sorry if I derailed it, but there's just been a lot of that stuff going on right now. But yeah, just what you just said, just the social media can be great if, if people just follow that. And, and just what it says in Ryan's tagline, a, a man with experience is not at the mercy of a man with an opinion. Think about that. 
before you post. And if you don't have the experience or if it's just your opinion, just, just tell the truth. Just, just say it. It will go a lot better for everybody. No, definitely. Well, man, I cannot thank you enough for coming on here. You definitely have been uh, uh, an inspiration for me to hold out for older deer and, and as well as life lessons. You're always one of those guys that chimes in, and I appreciate that. Like, hey, dummy, hold on, take a step back and think about this. And I appreciate the friendship, and I appreciate, uh, you know, getting keeping Rock Slide going. Frank? Same back to you, Aaron. Just what I said in the front of my book, man. Thanks for all your generosity and you know all the good you've done for me over the years. You know we don't get to talk a lot and everything, but don't don't think it doesn't go unnoticed. You know I have a pile of gear. I gotta you know get to run rock slide and you know much much of the success of I, I have experienced you know can can be you know, trickled back to you. Now you know people are probably thinking I'm pumping your tires and you know you're bragging or whatever, but no, it's the truth, man. Aaron's been a very generous person to me. No, no problem at all. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. I, I I definitely appreciate all the content you put out, and I'm always, you know, always looking for the new uh, Robbie article or book or whatever you have or your posts on Instagram. So yeah, definitely keep that up, and we appreciate you coming on. You bet, man. And thanks for following it. And um, uh, let's do another one um, in the future, and you know, we can do something about mule deer, or, you know, whatever. Cool. Sounds good, man. Take it easy. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye.